We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to Rediscovery Episode 2, a podcast brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. I'm Ian Symes and joining me today as always are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. <laughs> Hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Is this on? And we're going to be talking about Red Dwarf Series 2 DVD. The. Uh, yeah, this is our a series looking back at the glorious DVD range. Uh, this particular one came out in February 2003, so very, very nearly 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's much like the first one, except blue. It is. The menu is very same as well, but there's lots of new little extra things they threw in. And I, actually, I forgot about that. I forgot that they actually bothered with the... The the little cap, and the, yeah, the extra things like the little extra detail. Obviously, I know like the the main menus and stuff, but even the drive room had been kind of spruced up. It's like you'd think it would be cost saving <laughs> to not re-render everything twice, but they still obviously re-rendered everything. Well, they built all to, the main assets, but then there's a couple of extra bits need to put in. But they still had to do it all again. Deluxe yeah. Digital just got um, Donna De Stefano in to like just drag in a few extra assets and just like throw a bit some of color into, that, into the render. Yeah, and then, and then just, they just yeah. re-rendered it. Yeah, in a hat. <laughs> they thought it was Claire Grogan who came in and threw all the shots. Wearing confused. a hat, so but it's a good indication, isn't it, of the the batched process that they used? They come in pairs. Uh, the well, they each disc set comes in pairs but they mm. come in pairs of pairs of DVDs mm-hmm. and yeah the extras are parallel as well in terms of length and the, the type of extras that there are it would become more paired up when all the subsequent sets of DVDs that had the big documentaries mm. uh, they would match these two don't quite match because there is there isn't an equivalent to launching Red Dwarf in the same way but there's something else instead Yeah, uh, the Doug Naylor interview which we'll chat spoilers later. later but yeah like updated quotes uh, from Holly on all the menus as well and the music cues uh, changed in some cases to be series 2E ones yeah got Hilly in there good. in the bunk room yeah there's the banana ofs there has to be the banana in there <laughs> there's something I've, I don't think I've ever noticed before on the set and it's like this sort of like a a, a piñata donkey that's mm. just right outside the door of the set and I was like I have never seen that before <laughs> like, it's just like I was like how the hell have I never spotted that but yeah it's massive. are we absolutely sure it's from the show and it wasn't just something that it was in Crichton that's how it and it was that's oh, what, right, that's what right, made right, me spot it I was like what the fuck is that doing there so yeah look, look out for that when you watch series 2 which we're not going to do but <laughs> yeah. we've all watched quite enough series 2 over the last week thank you very much <laughs> been doing our research mm. uh, but yeah memories of when this one came out are kind of mixed in with my series 1 memories mm. <laughs> to be honest it's hard to pick them apart because they were so close together really mm. only a few months, three months apart but it was another trip down to Woolworths for me at 9 o'clock on release day and back home to See, once again bunking off college everyone was thinking under hushed breath was the play.com delivery was that a fluke is it going to happen yeah. again 
it happened I think, again. I think, I think it was played at con for me. I think, I think that yeah. might have been how I... I think my... I think from now I, on... Yeah. Probably that's the way I kind of got them all because I think I, I think I'd got wind of the uh, early day release yeah. thing. Throw a caution to the wind, especially since it's the was cheapest option as well. But I, I do have a, a kind of specific memory of the Series Two launch because I attended the London HMV launch of the, the set. Oh yeah. Oh right, yeah. This I was supposed to go to that. And this is what that. Yeah, Danny missed his oh, train. No. This would have been the first time I met Danny. As it turns out, it wasn't. It was the first time I met at, um, a few a few crazy characters from the official web board. But yeah, we basically um, it was a bit of a mini. It was my first ever internet meetup, basically with with yes. web board people. Uh, yeah, I think um, it would have been mine. I, I, yeah, I think DJ was then then mine, but I think that D- yeah, was DJ a few too. months later, right? Was it spring or was it autumn? I can't remember. It was April the fourth. April the fourth. So it wasn't very long at all. <laughs> it locked in my brain that DJ. A <laughs> couple of months later, um, we were at DJ. So that yeah, that's. But yeah, I went down to London. The first time I'd been in London since I was a, a little boy, I think. And I just remember, I remember King's Cross being basically an entire building site. And that building work mm. only finished a few years ago now, maybe five or yeah. six years ago. Um, <laughs> and we yeah, we went over to HMV and there was just a little, all it was really was a little signing with Chris, not Craig, uh, Robert, and quite possibly Norman. But Robert. Uh, Robert wasn't in the series. Oh no, it wouldn't have been Robert then. What am I talking about? So it was Chris, Norman. Definitely wouldn't have been Craig because I would have remembered mm. it because it was ages. Uh, yeah, probably. Like yeah, it was Danny as well. Yeah. So we just all because yeah, it's London got, as well. So it'd be easy yeah. to get. Of course. Was it the Oxford Street HMV? Yes, I think so. Yeah, which is now a uh, American sweet shop, which is not at all being used for money laundering. Purposes. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's a massive building as well. The like. entirety of Oxford Street, like honestly, about a quarter of the shops are American candy money laundering fronts. That's so. Funny. It's be- so bizarre because it's the most expensive premises to rent in the country something very weird has happened over the last couple of years well but basically Lon- london is rotting from the inside out is what's happening <laughs> um but you know you gotta laugh mm. and you um Money corrupts who'd have thought mm. <laughs> <sighs> all a bit worrying frankly um <laughs> but yeah uh, th- i wish there was something more interesting to say to that but not really i i um you know, we had a nice day out. I can't remember. Went somewhere to eat, and then fucked off back on the train up to Sheffield, and I drove home, and I had a signed DVD. Was it after the release date? Is it like mm-hmm. the weekend after? I think so. So you'd already watched the DVD. You already had your play. It was a weekday. Copy. It was a, weirdly enough, it was a weekday. I seem to remember. I so say it might have been the Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, it was definitely midweek. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. Um. So I had my day off from the RPA. The what? Rural Payments Agency was my job at the time. Working for DEFA. Rural. 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 Warhammer. 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 And they never did anything like that again? No. Maybe because no, it was a bit underwhelming. Really. I don't know. <laughs> like, it, didn't really, it wasn't really a big thing. It was like, it was just a impromptu signing thing. I remember there was a signing event at some point that had... Well, everyone, including Craig, Chloe, Mac, Norman, Hattie, Ooh, everyone, yeah. in Swindon. Um, but I can't remember <laughs> what that was for. Whether it was because, like, it wouldn't have been Series Eight because it it felt much earlier than that. But that was the first time that 
all of those people had been in the same series, so it couldn't have been a DVD signing. Yeah, it's all right. We'll 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 warm up in a minute. It's fine. Was it series? Was it a series seven though? Because I was thinking, because like, was it like Doug apologising to the the city of Swindon? <laughs> the, <laughs> the Doug Naylor apology tour, like taking in Wales, um, Milton, Keynes. Milton Keynes, yeah, Belgium, Ellen Road. <laughs> The entirety of Spain for Asso. <laughs> Taiwan. Preemptively, it's like, I'm really going to do you guys a dirty in a few years. So I'll say sorry now. I assume your your review schedule was, was similar to Series 1? Yeah, get it all watched in the morning, <laughs> write up a review and uh, post it at precisely 6 o'clock when the internet was free. Yeah, Presumably, uh, well, this was a time when uh, neither of us really had figured out that we could get free review copies. No, <laughs> that happened later. But we also bought them because the review copies were just test discs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I do remember weighing up going for Play. dot com. But part of it was being scared that it wouldn't turn up. It was the early days of internet e commerce, and it was it was still a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, and also partly I wanted the excitement of waiting that mm. extra couple of days and getting up and physically going to pick it up rather than. Because for all subsequent ones, from Series 3 onwards I did, because once it got to it I and people started receiving it on the Saturday, I was really pissed off <laughs> and really jealous of all the people that had cut their DVDs two days early. Just go so from Series 3 onwards I did it. I totally get that though, like walking into Woolies and there'd be like a, I mean Red Dwarf would have been a big enough release that it would have had a corner, you know, or would it would have had like maybe, um, yeah. I, th- I think maybe Series 4 or something I seem to remember had like, because I would just go into Woolies anyway just to look look at it and you'd, mm. you'd have like a wooden stand or like you know a particular thing is like look here's red dwarf it was a big deal well we know that there were loads of posters of the red dwarf for dvd mm-hmm. um that were displayed in stores because the, a shitload of them were given away at dj one year and we all have one <laughs> basically i've got the one that was on the back of the stage in D, like dj 2007 or something I, yeah. you know when james said ah just just take the fucking posters and um <laughs> we, we all just like nabbed them I think yeah. someone was pissed off about that. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's all still to come. <laughs> the bit in the middle's called the Doug Naylor interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to do our, our customary thing. It's customary. This is now the second episode of this. We've chosen a an extra to do our commentating on and then we'll just talk about all the rest afterwards and on this occasion we've picked an extra that is not actually something that was made for this dvd it just happens to be on there which is uh, the red dwarf a to z and this was a thing throughout the run that extra bits would just be dotted there and thereabouts wherever it sort of made most sense for them to be but with the red dwarf knight stuff a to z and can't smeg won't smeg they just put them wherever there was space mm-hmm. rather than the proper place for all of those would be either on the series seven or eight but there was already so much stuff there that it was yeah. just like yeah let's spread them out and so yeah the red dwarf a to z being here brings the total up to 90 minutes of extra is the same as yeah. series one in a way like it is it's not that exciting only a few years earlier we would have all like <laughs> my bottle of wine just get delivered um we we would have all had this on a vhs and 
you know, right next to the star, Twice. the Star Trek, um, you know, night <laughs> VHS. Um, well, we'd have had off airs from uh, Red Dwarf Night, but also the Red Dwarf A to Z was an extra on the uh, series seven byte three VHS. Yes, fucking hell! Yes, they, they split that into three videos. Um, series eight, they did two, and series seven, they did the first three episodes, the next three episodes, and to make up. Right. Again, to to get the running time up, they yeah. put the Dwarf A to Z on but the end of uh, Epidemic. I forgot about that, but yeah, I, I literally, literally can see the span from here and I forgot that it was on there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the funny thing is, is that stuff like this, that you like, you, we would have watched it, I mean, we would have all watched A to Z to death by this point, but it's still kind of thrilling, it's just like, oh yeah, that they're being completionist, they're getting everything on, yeah. on these things. Reassuring yeah. at the time yeah. of like, okay. Yeah, we're going to get everything. For the nerdy completionists, we're yeah, very excited about this. Spawned a lot of quotes from uh, various... Um... <laughs> this is an all-time classic, actually. It's one of my favourite yeah. episodes. <laughs> well, without, without any further ado, then... Let's fucking do it. Shall we? It's one of, it's one of the best ones in Series 7. Yeah, we did, yes. <laughs> it was the best thing on that VHS, <laughs> for sure. I like Epidemic, shush. <laughs> So then, if you, my friends, would like to listen to us talking over it while watching it, God, we're rusty, (laughs) (laughs) then press the pip at the end of these plays. (laughs) Play. Fire. Bit of flame. Ah, and then they use the A in the red door for the Z. <laughs> I mean, it's um, none of your muck, this. This is produced by Ed By. Yeah, man. None of your muck. It's none of your muck. Look how nice Series 6 looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at the... Uh, have you noticed at the bottom they've got that weird overscan problem that yeah, the DVDs flickering. originally had? Yeah. 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 Even then. Yeah, it was always as part of Red Dwarf Night of the four main new things. Um, the other being coming of the apocalypse doesn't count. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll come back to that because we have to. Have to guys, don't write sitcoms. <laughs> no, no one likes sci-fi sitcoms. One of the things that made <laughs> me realise that my my friend Gavin, who, who well, our friend Gavin, um, that me and him were going to be besties, was in like '98, where we were. Quoting this back to each other, like, <laughs> the A to Z. Shortly after, yeah, the A to Z, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. When you you've gone beyond being a fan of something, when you're yeah. quoting the behind the scenes, the <laughs> you're quoting the producer of the yeah. show yes, rather than yeah. the show itself. Oh, Paul Jackson's so fucking quotable. He's so like yeah. interesting, isn't he? He is. He looks so 80s here as well, despite the fact that it's 1998. Yeah, well, we mentioned this, didn't we, in the Lodge of Red Dwarf, <laughs> yeah. they, t- they take extra bits from this interview, which is a very nice uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he is proper, like, 80s guy. Cult. I, sorry, I misread that. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Ding! Oh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I th- I always considered this the least good of the uh, four main Red Dwarf Night programmes. I think in retrospect, it's probably can't smoke words for me. <laughs> but oh, there was, I don't know. <laughs> there were just things about this that disappointed me a bit at the time of like there being more the ratio of clips to yeah. original stuff uh, being wrong. 
and like the excess of celebrity cameos rather than people with insight but I know I, d- I do like it it is good mm-hmm. I was we were spoiled basically on Red Dwarf Night mm-hmm. there were four really good programs um, yeah it's a- it, it does, you know, tread some um, basic ground, I guess, which is some similar like fans like us would be. But but looking at it, you know, it is. And this the caliber of interviewees is. I mean, we've just seen Stephen Hawking. Yeah, which, he was quite a clever bloke. Yeah, um, and in defence of Stephen Hawking, he does say about it doesn't try to be politically correct. I do feel like that is a a different. He's referring to a different type of political correctness there, where it's just the sort of political correctness where you're not worried about you know offending your your sixty year old aunt, if you see what I mean, rather than yeah, yeah, you know, rather than yeah, they were woke jokes about yeah. the gays or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, politically correct, literally changed like, in terms of what I meant. Yeah, by the current meaning of the term political correctness, Red Dwarf is not on PC. It certainly wasn't in these days, and in fact, the only bits of Red Dwarf that might even be considered non-politically correct come in the Dave era. So. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, come in the last... Oh, time. this prick. <laughs> so, Ian, Gary do you Bushel. have a, any particular opinion about Gary Bushell? Um, <laughs> He's a beard with an idiot hanging off it. Ding! <laughs> yeah, I do remember that one from my <laughs> So, yeah, for the for the sake of the listener, I'm dinging every time Ian reuses a joke from his um, Red Dwarf <laughs> Because I've not reread it, but there's just bits. <laughs> but yeah, I always hated Gary Bushell primarily just because he worked he worked for the Sun. Yeah, ah, and right, okay. Even even as a a, a eleven year old as I would have been when I first watched this, I knew that that was a bad thing. Right. Justice for the ninety seven. Don't buy the Sun. Yeah. Just don't buy the Sun in general. Virtue signalling cultural Marxism again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And there is Craig Charles's ass. Is Craig Charles being a slob after Gary Bushell said something about him eating curry or something? Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that kind of thing was my beef with it. But in terms of how in depth it goes, there are sections of this that are properly, you know, we learn stuff. We did learn yep, stuff. Yep. It goes more nerdy than the majority of uh, the first three million years did, mm-hmm. for example. And we excused that at the time as being, you know, that's for a more general audience than us. This, I mean, this was originally aired at ten thirty at night on a on a dedicated Red Dwarf night. So I guess you know that the people that are still watching at ten thirty yeah, <laughs> are going to be Red Dwarf. Now, <laughs> <laughs> this so, is interesting. We, I assume that this is covered in. There's a brilliant website called Dalek sixty three eighty eight, which is basically a chronicle of all the Dalek props that have ever been made for Doctor Who. Ooh. What happened to like when they were built? They go so in depth, like they can they can identify which ones they are by things like you know this. I mean, you can see there one of the oh no, it's a shadow. Never mind. One of <laughs> I was going to say one of the bumpers has got a dent in it, but that's the kind of thing. Like they'll look at the screws on the uh, collars and say, no. oh, that this one has a screw oh, that's, that's slightly awesome. misaligned compared to the rest. Oh my god! So presumably somewhere on that site and if it is I'll put it in the show notes they'll tell us exactly when these Daleks were made by whom and which other Doctor Who related things they've been in yeah I mean Rupert Bates was the voice of the Daleks in this who was uh, Gilbert in uh, he he wasn't Gilbert he was um, one of the footmen and he was Troutella Krem not Troutella oh was he not Gilbert sorry beg your pardon no he wasn't 
He was uh, Hector in Camille. That's right. And he was the chef ah, yeah. on the screen in Bones of Power. And um, here's Eternal, who are definitely Red Dwarf fans. Red, Red the Wolf. Red the Wolf. That Look at these fucking cons. nerds. Is there anyone who recognises Nick? Because I've been like, I was really scanning this to see if there's well, anyone Well, there's Dave. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, apart from David Flett. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only person in this that we think is still active Alive. is... Uh, is <laughs> David Flat, Mr. Merchandise. Although I'm not sure I've seen David at Has he been was he at the last teacher? <clears throat> Actually I wasn't at the last teacher. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Thing is, people used to complain about the cues for the autographs. Look at the fucking state of this, man. <laughs> yeah. This was a huge <clears throat> DJ, wasn't Look it? Look at this, this was... man. That's ridiculous. That, that was one was Seattle. That, that was, was Seattle. DJ. That was no, American that was Seattle. Se- that was ninety seven. Ah, okay. There he is, that's Dave Flat. Yeah. Um, he's nine and a half. He's not showing he's his hat. Nine. He's not showing his deer stalker. That's, well, that's one the, thing, of the best things. And he doesn't have a beard. That's, <laughs> that's why I didn't recognise him at first because I was like, "Yeah, I've got yeah. a bloody hat on." <laughs> it's uh, the the um, eternal thing at <laughs> the top of this. It's just really weird. Were they just in the building yeah. or something? Like at some, it, it looks like a press junket. It looks like. Yeah. You know, the, one of these things where they sit in a hotel suite and journalists come in uh, or whatever and have have an interview filmed that they then get given and taken away. So someone chose to do that for Red Dwarf. It's, oh, let's go in. Let's get on Eternal's press junket <laughs> yeah. and get them to record a message for this thing. Also, it's like, who who decided that? <laughs> check if Eternal were on that that week's Top of the Pops because I guarantee <laughs> that they probably were. Also, did did Gary Bushell like not have an office or something? <laughs> I think it's just like shooting a gantry it looks a bit red dwarfy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it to be fair to Gary escape. Bushell, which is the only time I'll ever say this, he comes across as genuinely a red dwarf fan. Like I think he's, yeah. like, he's not he like James yeah. O'Brien who we'll get to. I was gonna is, say, yeah. yeah. There are other people that appear to be big red dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> who outed but, themselves. I didn't realise he was so so fucking prolific on this. He's only like three times. Yeah, he is, yeah. <laughs> we liked him at the time because he seemed to know what he was talking about. He seemed in to, the to the most sense. Yeah, but he was Apart just getting fed lines. Inac- yeah. Inaccurate dates about uh, Crichton and Data's chronology. Yeah. We'll do the proper anecdote of that when he comes up. It's a good excuse to show some good clips as well. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's, it's, it's nicely balanced, I think, with the clips, to be honest. Um, apart from the entries that are just clips, like, it would have been nice if there was some talking heads for every letter, but... Yeah, yeah and, and uh, yeah, make the clips shorter if you need to, but keep the variety. Mm. Just quickly going back to the Daleks, was they, were they, did Mike Tucker build them? I'm assuming that he was probably involved in some... Probably Raggy, it, Raggy would Possibly have been at some point, but I think... Oh, oh, oh yes. I genuinely a Red Dwarf fan. Yeah, I genuinely one of the greatest people that this country has produced. He's just and he amazing. turned up to the Back to Earth premiere as a invited sort of celebrity fan. Oh, of course, you know, he was yeah. still yeah, he was still around. Wow. We didn't catch him, did? Oh well, you didn't catch him when no, we, we didn't see him. Oh, I didn't no. know that. We got fucking held up by bloody <laughs> Jeremy Swift, before, haven't I? Jer- not Mark Benton. <laughs> Red Dwarf is a fucking pussy. You <laughs> that was that was Terry Pratchett. That was it. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was him heckling yeah, from the back. Of course, pussy like hole. Tell him from me. Right, that's Terry Pratchett. Yeah, just saying that he loves Holly, both Hollies, which is fair enough. I really have enjoyed both incarnations of Holly. <laughs> 
Um, oh, we sake. can talk over this bit. This is just a long clip from a bad episode. Uh, the Daleks would not have been built for this. Yeah, no. uh, for sure. There okay. have been existing Dalek props that were in storage somewhere. Because in the downtime, in the dark days of Doctor Who, <laughs> between eighty nine and two thousand and five, they were wheeled out for all kinds of shit. I like was going to say Nation, I, the Terranation Estate did not have much artistic integrity when that was like their only source <laughs> of income, <laughs> because they were in adverts for Kit Kats and and all sorts of things. Mm. And then when the Doctor Who came back, they were playing hardball about the rights and saying, oh, no, you've got to do this, that, and the other, because oh, they knew okay. that they were onto a good thing again. Dalek was written in a way that it could have not been a Dalek. Could have basically. not been a Dalek, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess no, you couldn't. You can't really get darker times than 98 for Doctor Who, because like, the film had flopped. and Yeah, and that was dead, supposed dead. to be the, big, the last big chance. Yeah. yeah. So it was quite so, weird to see Daleks in a Red Dwarf thing in the first place, even like at that yeah. point, because the Doctor Who wasn't even really a thing at that point, apart from the film, like I said. No, yeah, well, it, yeah, during the period when I was getting into, when we were all getting into Red Dwarf, and when I was, we were growing up, Doctor Who wasn't around. It was this yeah. relic from the past. There, there he, he is. is, James O'Brien with his little. Chibi cheeks. Aged hate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, now he's like this. I had no he... idea. It was, I did, I was like, oh, he's actually him. Like, holy shit. Like, he's, so, yeah, he's so independently, tiny. well, obviously independently of this, but uh, like James O'Brien has become quite famous over yeah. the last yeah. few years, like since the Brexit vote, probably. Yeah, I think so. And I have a lot of, I have some respect for him because he is a, a, a left wing voice in a right wing dominated empire media landscape yeah but he still is employed by lbc who also yeah. employed Nigel i think Farage, you're so. possibly being very generous to him there he, <laughs> yeah. he's he's one of these centrists that didn't vote labor for example right. um which he's is a essentially a tory <laughs> yes he's a melt i'm afraid and it really ages you jesus but yeah, um, oh, here we go. Oh, here, oh, he here we go. Here he is. We'll come back to James O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> this is just legendary. It's so bad. He's really like, off he's an good, autocue. He's a good actor, though. <laughs> like, why is this so bad? It's just clearly not true, is it? It's not a true story. <laughs> He's just dropped the line that you noticed and texted us, Caps. I came in the middle of this TV program. (laughs) It's like, fair fair play to him for carrying on watching, because normally... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, at the time, (laughs) if that happened during the 10-minute preview, I'd just turn it over. (laughs) Race against the cock. Hello, can you make Red Dwarf come on my television, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can, you ma- can you make Patrick Stewart come in the middle of my television programme, please? <laughs> I just, yeah, there's a sense of sort of like, uh, what's it, non- insincerity, I think that's what I get. But, yeah, I it think since then, it doesn't help since, like, he's, been he's sort looking of, like, down the barrel. As, as to play up the kind of, the, yeah. yeah. If he was just looking off camera, it would be better. It would be more natural. But it just feels weird. You can yeah. see his eyes moving left to right. And this isn't the television um, language of a genuine interview. This is the language yeah. of a presenter yeah. Yeah. who is, you know, part of the show, not a contributor to the show. And you can really tell with the people that get on who are that like the genuine 
fans like even cunts like Bushel you know you, you can tell he's a genuine fan and you can tell that um, Professor Hawkins is a fan um, and you can tell now that James O'Brien <laughs> was basically fake <laughs> clips <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah on oh no we'll come, we'll come back to the story because it needs to be told uninterrupted and yeah maybe at the end this yeah. This section in particular, yeah, we'll <laughs> save it. We'll save it. Full of things. Giving it the big one. Oh, he's already done his Crichton line, Danny. Yeah, yeah. So he's already yeah. pissed that one out. <laughs> that was presumably in the K section. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Oh dear. <laughs> this is a long clip. It is it a long is, clip, but it's, yeah. it, it's a good one, though, isn't it? It's it's it worth it's worth it's worth a repeat because it is one of those things where if you've never seen this early series of Red Dwarf, then this is going to be like a hell of a thing to watch. I guess, yeah, I guess it is kind of like an advert for Red Dwarf. Yeah. This thing, to it's, an extent, it's in so like, you can imagine places. them showing it to like uh, foreign broadcasters and saying, "Look, this is how much Red Dwarf. This is the best bits. Yeah, this yeah. is how much Red Dwarf means to people. Look at these conventions that we have, and etc." Now, speaking of genuine Red Dwarf fans, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was. Like Noel's house party must have been pretty much dead. It was on its ass at this point, completely. It was. I think ninety eight was the last series. That was presumably part of shot as part of the ninety seven series. But yeah, I think I'm right in saying Noel's house party was was dead within a within a few months of this, and it, the show really, really went bad. Yeah. <laughs> like Noel Edmonds became more and more unhinged, and that's not even. You know, exaggerating it, he genuinely went wrong in his yeah, brain, and then started his uh, cult. Yeah, um, no deal. Yeah, did I don't know if they're going to come back to him, but Terry Pratchett, but like presenting his his armchair to, to come. <laughs> like, I think he'll come back. He's just stood holding his armchair as if like his wife is supposed to be sat there or something or someone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an empty chair. He's oh, <laughs> on. Yeah, he's he's unplatformed. <laughs> Are you getting impatient with Red Dwarf clips? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> They're too well, that's, long. That, yeah. Yes, that yes, yes. You've the... seen this. Come on, come on. Spin on, spin on. <laughs> spin that's on. the point of it. Is that you know, if you haven't at this point when we first watched this, spent the previous five or six years watching every single episode over and over again until the VHS is wore out, then it would be great. This guy he's, any of that. I've never seen him before or since. No. And he's I an international think, mime artist. I, don't I can't believe you spoke good. over him, I couldn't hear what he was saying. <laughs> I am a mime. My body is my tool. <laughs> Andrew Dawson. Yeah. That'll look him up. Andrew Dawson uh, later started a podcast with Bob Mortimer. (laughs) (laughs) He's changed quite a bit. He's gained quite a bit of weight, actually. Ah, yeah, this is... This, I like this. I like this whole setup where, as well as they've got lots of Red Dwarf related books on the shelves, there's the, there's Craig Charles's poetry book, Noah the Blue, there's the log, uh, and there's Backwards, uh, and there's Question of Smeg, yeah. as well as the novels. 
uh, I like the implication that that's that's always the that's always his features shelf. on his shelves. <laughs> uh, zero are not O's. Yes, this is a mislabeled one. I think that's the first of the dodgy. Objection, my lord! You do call it double O seven. Yeah, but the O's are zeros, not O's. Yeah, yeah but you never you never say double zero seven, do you? you say double O seven. Well, maybe you should. Have you thought about that? Well, maybe you should, maybe but you that's should. not my fault. You blame fucking Albert will. fucking Broccoli, whatever his fucking name is. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Broccoli, who invented Broccoli. Yeah, which is, you spell his name B-R-0-C-C-0-L-I. <laughs> I caught that. And here's a Nazi playing Captain Vorhazy. <laughs> God, this sequence is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is like like taken on a life of its own as a, as a meme <laughs> yeah. elsewhere yeah. on the internet. <laughs> And there'll be another use of that meme later in the new sure. year. So keep an eye out for that. <laughs> There's a tease for future GNT content. <laughs> keep an eye out for that. Oh, it's the ball, sorry. <laughs> now, this isn't Where? on the do- documentary, is it? This is not on the... Um, this wasn't I'm launching. Using... Yeah, they don't use this. No. It, it, there was a different bit of this interview. Yes, think, that's a, yeah. They yeah. used a different bit of yeah. it, but they don't use this bit. And I was like, I was, I was sure that that was on there. And when you mentioned the ball thing, I was like, where is that? And it's on this. <laughs> so, in which case, I probably said this on our last commentary, but where is this? Is this his house? I this think looks, this is normal. Is this his house? This looks like like his house as it would be in like one of his shows. You know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. He's, oh. got tea, he's got a coffee tray there. Like it might be a like a, it might be in an Airbnb. <laughs> was it the set of I Love It? Uh, in that, no, yeah. that, that was much earlier. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, it looks like a canal boat. Ah, oh, that's oh. true. It's, Maybe, pro- it's probably yeah. not, but that's what it looks like. That kind of thing could well be. It's very cozy, whatever it is. This looks lovely. The the um the num the lettering on this one the alphabetizing question dash the ultimate one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean you're gonna if, stru- if, he, if you do anything involved in the alphabet you're gonna scr- str- struggle with Q's and Z's and X's so. Queeg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> question of Smeg. They could have done a whole thing on that yeah. quiz book. Uh, <laughs> they had a section on the novels. Why not the quiz books? Yeah. It's an excuse to show this clip. It's yep. just... <laughs> Yay! So this is literally <laughs> is. the day after we first saw Remastered Premiere, yep. right? And this is like a clip of what's to come. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The Friday the 13th, that should have been a sign, of February 1998, <laughs> they showed the end Remastered with a little um, promo uh, ahead of it, which is on the Body Snatcher collection. Yeah. Um, and most of this section is taken from that promo. It's just like highlighting the the things they were most proud of, like <laughs> these vents. <laughs> I'll be honest, I completely forgot about this extra intro to Polymorph with this with yeah. the events. And stuff. I totally forgot this was a thing. Utterly why? <laughs> just let's just delay the yeah. some of the best comedy Red Dwarfs ever done for an extra thirty seconds. Ah, smeg. Oi, smeghead. <laughs> and this is on this is used on the um, yeah. launch of a door <clears throat> I'm looking forward to the day when globalist psychopaths 
<laughs> this is. I, I like this clip. Who is the yeah. guy on the right? I assume. It looks he's like what's his name? A host of some description. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. I assume a host yeah, of okay. the uh, PBS channel that put on that event. Right, okay. I mean, they never answer the question. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's just a good bit of synchronicity, like both of them just immediately like crawl away. It's, yeah. 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 So it, like, Robert just took the... Took the... The, that uh, that must be a bit like there's, uh, it's, if we get any awkward questions, we'll do this funny thing and just call off stage. And so, one of them took the lead. Follow my lead. Follow my liege. It's not. You can't look in the back of a pan like that. Nothing would show. <laughs> Unless the pan was, yeah, very worn. Hmm. USA, Dallas. This should have been a section on Red Dwarf USA, surely. Yeah. Maybe a bit raw still. Well, I'm going to say, yeah, when was that would have... US, Red Dwarf USA, again, six, was five, six years earlier. Yeah. You mean, uh... Yeah. What's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> Another thing about this is that... <clears throat> It feels like at least the longer, the longest and dullest clip sections are all series seven. <laughs> it was the most recent series yeah. at the time, and so obviously they were going to show that off. As yeah, know. but yeah, for if you're from the section of fandom that does not like series seven, then obviously it's going to be great. Well, I mean, this is generally one of the best shot things that like not just in Red Dwarf it generally is one of the best shot things in most it is really good it's amazing yeah it's made even better by um, everyone beating Listers to death at the end. <laughs> yeah there that does go. genuinely ruin it <laughs> is this a v good are not for amused. most improved clip because I watched this last night and I was <laughs> fucking losing it. Yeah, yeah man. It's these awesome. two are so funny. I, These two are good. And at the time... Plastic crocodile. Yeah, plastic crocodile. I wasn't particularly bothered about it like at the time, but last night I was just like, fuck, these two are good. One of my most abiding memories is actually you and uh, you and Johnny and uh, one of the DJs when I realised that I was amongst friends who knew Red Dwarf like, inside out where someone said a oh, plastic crocodile and then John immediately went plastic crocodile <laughs> and I realised I was like ah oh, okay I found my people this is good it's such an good. obscure reference to things I wonder what these two are doing now I think they're probably a comedy duo yeah. if, if they're not they should be mm. Plastic crocodile. It's exactly. The thing. <laughs> uh, they, they did it exactly the same way as well. It was they use the same. Uh, it's obviously the sound from the episode. It's, the sound it's got the, the laughing as well. Sound effects, yeah, it's great. Now and here is a one-eyed right-wing astronomer. <laughs> far be it for me to like question his science here, but like watching this, he's describing a red dwarf as like more like a brown dwarf, something like this, like. A failed star that that dies quickly or fades out, and there's a huge disappointment to its mum. 
But <laughs> but red dwarfs but, uh, like no red dwarf in existence has died yet. Like that's how long they live. Red dwarfs last forever. Patrick last, Moore. Red dwarfs last like they they are the sort of the most. Uh, they will become one of the most abundant types mm. of star in the in the universe until its creators see each You can live quite close <laughs> to a red red dwarf and actually be quite comfortable for a long time. This is the what dog gets dog me dog. about this is that. Craig Charles has just lied about him and Robert Llewellyn, uh, Robert Llewellyn taking him to Microsoft. <laughs> or he did take him to Microsoft and he's now lying about Dildonics because yeah. this is the Dildonics joke that he's made millions of times before. Yeah, it's it's in the log and it's in his stand-up. Um, what's weird is that he's doing it during a Q&A at DJ. He's just like decided... Yeah, he's just like decided to dig into a bit of his stand-up... <laughs> That must have been. I presume DJ. no, it wasn't a question. That must have been the DJ. <laughs> have you ever uh, seen a device that allows you to have sex with a computer? Oh God, this goes on forever. Yeah, and um, <laughs> it's under Y for Y fronts brackets unidentified crawling objects. Y fronts would have absolutely have been the fucking polymorph thing. But... Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, apart from anything else, listeners wearing boxes in this. Yeah. yeah, what would you have had for why? Yakatakatula. To be fair, like you know, if we've got something coming up where we've had to think up like things that begin with why that are something to do with dwarf. And to be honest with you, it's really fucking difficult to think of anything. <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you, although <laughs> didn't have that many. <clears throat> Avon Magruder, yellow or streak of yellow. diuretic camels, <laughs> <laughs> yellow banana. <laughs> Have you ever tried typing one-handed and having all the correct punctuation and everything? Have you tried to do it like capitals where you've got to hold... as well. Did, did you press caps <laughs> You have to, you have to hit the, the letters as hard as possible and then they, they, they turn into <laughs> caps. Oh, right. Is it pressure sensitive? So if you hit it harder, it turns into a capital. If you press it lightly, it's a minute. <laughs> if you keep it held hard. down, then the font size increases. Curse <laughs> <laughs> technology. Red-a-tat-tat. Thank God Doug uh, re-edited this and made it better. <laughs> I mean, someone should have edited the version in this clip show down a little bit. If only there was some that's top all, director folks. in charge of the uh, production. And that's all, folks? Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Zed, so what would uh, we have gone for for Zed? Like, Zed Shift. I know it's a book. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to think of. It's difficult to think of a clip that would, uh, like... A company that that's yeah. The, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's difficult and they have to and you know finish on a song yeah and like the smeg ups on Red Dwarf Night finished with Tongue Tied yeah. this finished with the Rimmer song it's like yeah tick those both off those are the two big songs yeah oh and yeah I don't hate the Rimmer song I'm happy to yeah I love it the Rimmer song it's it, it's it's fine. Any opportunity oh. to hear um, Howard Goodall singing? Hattie Hayridge is credited in this. Oh, <laughs> Germans yeah. came in. Uh, Germans. Yeah, is she's that, credited is that a in reference this. to fucking to Kevin and Perry as well? <laughs> <laughs> Germans. Uh, Hattie Hayridge is credited, but she doesn't actually appear in any interview footage. Mm. She appears in clips, right? Uh, which is presumably why she's there, because there's also credits, additional material. Uh, Kim Fuller and Paul Alexander, which is for the episode clips. Oh, I that see. That makes sense now. Okay. 
little Bull Jack with his little smile. Always cute old face. Fucking hell, it's auto playing series eight now, right? Close. <laughs> so that was the A to Z. Which is uh, So should we do the James O'Brien anecdote? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> do it. I mean, and most people listening to this will already know if because it's fairly dwarf, recent. Any dwarf cast, you'll kind of have heard the combination. Yeah, you'll have heard James O'Brien's. James O'Brien has probably appeared on more dwarf casts than like John and Tanya at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when James O'Brien was a guest on Rahelistopper. Thank you. Uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, which is what it was called at the time. For that was its name. I I saw Richard Herring tweet that he got James O'Brien coming on, and I thought, right, this is exactly the kind of pedantic <laughs> line of questioning that Richard Herring will really enjoy. <laughs> so I tweeted saying, ask him about when he went on the Red Dwarf A to Z in '98 and claimed that uh, data from Red Dwarf was a ripoff of Crichton. When data actually appeared a year earlier than Crichton, and I gave the dates and everything of the episodes. <laughs> And sure enough, he opened the entire interview <laughs> with this. Because <laughs> uh, he used the uh, he's from, like, because normally... Pixel oh, yeah, he's really probably best you, known. That's it, yeah. He used the, yeah. the, the obscure thing of being from the A to Z, and it was like, that's a good yeah. way to bring him on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, that was the whole first question was about that. And James O'Brien admitted, shockingly and callously, that he wasn't actually a Red Dwarf fan. <laughs> that a call had gone into the office of the newspaper where he worked saying, you know, are any of your TV desk Red Dwarf fans, do you want to appear in our documentary? And he just wanted to be on the telly. So he pretended, he, like, he called up a mate and got him to give him some, you know, what would a Red Dwarf fan say? <laughs> he got him to give him some pointers and just turned up and bullshitted. If I was that mate, I would have totally stitched him up. <laughs> yeah, oh, by telling mate. him that Data was influenced by Crichton, when in fact... <laughs> I mean, who, how, do we, how do we not know that's what happened? I think that's well, yeah, now that I think about it, yeah. But with all of his other opinions... Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you've got to sprinkle one line amongst the truths so that you can't tell that which one... <laughs> yeah. He's got a copy of the homework so that he doesn't realise that it's his mates. <laughs> think, old Brian. <laughs> I've got to take your wrong opinion and revoice it. <laughs> It's a nice thing, isn't it? It's one of those things that brings Red Dwarf fans together is just that weird little things like that that aren't always particularly good, but have just got lots of quotable things and we all have fun memories of them. In the current parlance, it's a very memeable programme. Mm-hmm. Yes. Should go uh, on the Yes, it fucking should. Come on. <laughs> Can't swear we're going to make Will at some point. The Patrick Stewart story. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we say it, it's memeable. We've definitely used it. We've used it so much. Yeah. If uh, like intros to things, and whenever like there's a, a notable G and T anniversary, there's always some kind of Red Dwarf Knight reference in yeah. there. The Daleks and that light bulb gag was funny. <laughs> Wasn't Ed by one of those Daleks as well? You mentioned that in your article. Well. It's an interesting one. Rupert Bates is the only person credited, and it could well be that he does both. But in the Red Dwarf 8 book, in one of Doug's uh, columns, when he's talking about the new ending that they shot for Only the Good with Ed By playing Death, he said, it was like, the paraphrasing, but it was basically the thing was, uh, where could we find someone at this late notice who was like at least six foot two, 
and was comfortable being on camera and maybe someone that had recently provided the voice of a Dalek for a Red Dwarf Knight special and there was Ed Bai. So, yeah, not outright saying Ed Bai was one of the voices of the Daleks, but but it all... It makes sense, too, because I was actually listening out because I'd forgotten that it was Rupert Bates. I was thinking, is this like your, your regular Dalek voices that you would have had in the in the 80s I guess um, what's his name who's Zippy I always forget his name uh, Roy Skelton yeah Roy Skelton although he might have been dead by then I don't know but um, um, so yeah I was I was trying to think like can I hear can I hear Zippy in this <laughs> and I couldn't so, no you can like if yeah. you listen to 70s <laughs> Doctor yeah, Who you can always tell clear. when it's Roy Skelton <laughs> <laughs> he's a good he's a, he should, he's a he good should have done the more like <laughs> but he, he does he's, he's just one of the, the yeah Great, great voice actor. Very distinctive. Yeah. It doesn't like it's like um, Maurice Labarche. It, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. You can hear him a mile off, no matter what character he's doing. Yeah, he's just so good. <laughs> yeah, Phil Hartman. I would say yeah. yeah. Also, see also Rob Paulson. See also Billy West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah spot him a mile off, but yeah, hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> 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 but yeah. The Red Dwarf Age Z also in our in our own personal histories is important because that article that Capsi referred to uh, that we'll be putting in the show notes, yeah, is one of the early breakthrough successes. There is an argument Capsi. to be had that this is the most important article that GNT has ever published, <laughs> which, if you read it, is is quite. I mean, this is like it's very well written and it's very funny, but I just I just like like. Young Ian Symes really hates it. No matter how much current Ian Symes <laughs> hates Gary Bushell, young Ian Symes hated him a lot more. Yeah. I was more extreme with my opinions in those days. That's what it was all about. Because I was Shout- a child. Yeah, like being as like forthright and as extreme with opinions as you possibly could be. More so yeah. then than it, than it is now, I think. I think some people might say that you know the internet is like that now but i i think it's calmed down a lot since the early 2000s there was a lot of like all caps i think it's different because yeah nowadays you'd be no you'd want to get noticed on someone else's platform basically yeah, yeah, whether true. that's twitter instagram tiktok whatever youtube you want to be noticed in a big community that already exists whereas in the olden days when everyone had not everyone when when a narrow few people had blogs and websites it was about it was about carving your own thing and making that get noticed, which was harder. Mm, true. Everyone didn't go down the ain't it cool news route because that that would have mm. been terrible. Um, and he's a terrible, horrible cunt. But it is kind of like that is basically what fan sites were. There were some degrees of that ain't it cool news, you know, over exaggeration yeah. and you know, uh, just finding you know their own level, I guess. But. Um, so it wasn't our fault. We were just doing what everyone else did. Uh, also, Gary Bushell is the biggest cunt in Christendom. <laughs> <laughs> you are the cuntiest knave in Christendom. <laughs> he's probably one of the biggest cunts. <laughs> just because he worked for the Sun for so long, but he's probably is. But he was he was only the TV reviewer for the Sun, so there are worse people. I mean, actually, one of his successes as the TV uh, reviewer of The Sun is Dan Wooten. So oh, there are well, definitely well, worse cunts than yeah, Gary Bushell, because Dan Wooten is, is a terrible cunt. Oh, I mean, j- journalism's gone completely down the 
the pan even since the 90s so like compare him to literally almost any very famous journalist these days and he's mild by comparison yeah the problem i had with him i think was that he was a face on panel shows and on chat shows and stuff like he was above his station as a tv reviewer and he was he had an objectionable a sort of a talk sport type personality. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up on talk sport or one of the similar sort of contrarian yeah. things. I mean, obviously, at the time, he could never accuse me of being a contrarian. <laughs> Maybe a contrary. <laughs> Shall we go through the list of extras? Okay. Shall we start with the booklet, or do you want to start with the actual? Oh, shit, Ooh, I got that. Go on. There are a couple of notes in the booklet. I've Ooh, got. Oh, go good, it. excellent. Our booklet correspondent Daniel Stevenson is on the well, we scene. Have, there's a, there's a couple of mistakes in the booklet. Oh, <gasps> Andrew, Andrew, you'll have to now. answer for that when we get him on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, in the Better Than Life section, it says the first day was room when the gale began to blow. The crew watched on despairingly as Chris Barry and Danny John Jules turned blue and became unable to deliver their lines through chattering it was teeth. Craig that was Charles. Craig. For fuck's sake. Oh, man. dear. Right, that's one. And the other one. Ah, well, well. <laughs> well, go on. That, that deleted scene didn't turn up when they were making the Series 2 DVD. Otherwise, it would have been on the Series 2 DVD. That's it true. ended up on the... Oh. They found an extra tape between now and Body Snatcher being released. And so Ellard wouldn't have been able to cross-reference that. Like, that scene wasn't available that's... to him at the time. So that okay. Was still oh, fucking wrong. Right. All right, we'll get we'll give him that one, right? But um, that's I, I, yours. I, I mean, I'm genuinely being incredibly fucking sniff here. <laughs> it's like, in parallel universe section, Suzanne Batiche and Angel Bruce were cast as Rimmer and Lister's female opponents. <laughs> Angel hey, come Bruce, on. That Angel is, Bruce. That's a wrestling <laughs> morning angle. Morning angle. <laughs> We're being uh, picky with the booklets now because we've been informed by a very reliable source for this d- these DVDs, i.e. the person that made them, <laughs> that uh, he's compiling a list of errata <laughs> in, our, in our podcasts. Yeah, yeah, errata for what we're saying, yeah. So, yeah, extras. Extras. Commentary. Yeah, cast commentary. Oh, the commentary. Oh, the the commentary. I listened to all of this over the last few days in chunks probably for the first time since... I remember series 1 and 2 commentaries both of those I listened to a lot because they were brand new, they were fresh they were like the only thing that we had <laughs> and I was at a stage of my life where I could sit around and, and re-watch the same things over and over again. Oh good bedtime Yeah, by the time the next set of DVDs came out I was at uni and so didn't get as bogged down in re-watching stuff because I discovered booze and drugs and stuff but hadn't listened to them really since then and it was a bit of a slog I've got to tell you you could tell it was a bit of a slog for the cast as well you could tell they were getting a bit fatigued by the end and the last couple of episodes are just nothing what I did I found myself getting annoyed on behalf of Norman Lovett yeah uh, with Daddy John Jules yeah <laughs> there's no two ways about it I was there's going no to mention this I was going to mention this because Norman <laughs> literally he hammers him Endlessly hammers him. Yeah. Does not leave him alone at all. And, and Norman, you can, you can just imagine Norman just rolling his eyes the entire way through. <laughs> it's like relentless piss taking. None of it gets beyond, you know, banter. It, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no side to it, and there's no intention to actually, co- you know, to cause offence. But it's just 
the relentlessness of it. Like Danny doesn't know when to move on from a joke. <laughs> like I think this is a, a thing in general. Like as a as a comedian or, or someone who works in comedy, if he finds a joke that works, he will stick with it and stick with it until he's squeezed every last drop out of it. But in this case, it just means that any time Norman says anything. Daddy just basically says, yeah, you're shit, Norm. <laughs> Paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. But not by much. It must be. I, 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 like, I mean, pretty much at the, right at the start of Crichton, Norman's forced to, to defend his hair. And yeah. it amused yes. me because he defends it by saying, it's a hair island. <laughs> Which anyone who's listened to Atletico Mints will, will know why that is. It's amused. me hair island. My hair island. Uh, currently, I've got something close to a disc beard as well, so we could uh, we could have a little <laughs> ham salad, ham oh, yeah. fucking, fucking yeah. salad that morphs into Caesar salad. Like, I mean, you know, pony you... salad, Caesar pony, yeah. Caesar pony, Dri- like dripping with ham, dripping with ham, yeah. love, dripping with ham, love, and it just. I'm sure it's great fun. To be I think what amongst themselves, it, I think again, it's that whole thing of they don't really like. It's sort of like they don't care that they're being recorded. They're just talking yeah, they're just as if the they're chat. talking with each other, and, that, and that's fine. That that's yeah. There's that kind of level of camaraderie going on, and that, and that's fine. But just you know, they're willing to take the piss out of each other's performances and all the rest of it. And it, like no one takes it too seriously. No one gets offended. No one, you know. Um, Apart from when Danny's just ripping into Norman's hair, which is A, something you can't do anything about, and B, completely uncalled for. Oh, when someone, um, when they were in the start of Stasis League, they were saying they mentioned all of the um, the split screen stuff they had to do for that final scene. And Chris said something like, well, what's difficult about it is acting to nothing. And, and Danny says, I actually thought to my head, a bit like acting with Norman. And Danny said, ah, it's a bit like acting with Norman, isn't it, guy? <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, that's a good joke about how... The low-hanging fruit. It's a low-hanging fruit, yeah. When the preceding two hours has been nothing but (laughs) low-hanging fruits. I have more notes about specific things that they say. Uh, During Crichton, Craig says that his moon boots stank, and uh, when he took them off at night, he could still smell them down the corridor of his hotel room. Why was he wearing his day-glow orange moon boots in the hotel? Like... He, he wore them back to the hotel instead of taking them off when he finished recording. I have an answer for this. Craig Charles is lying. That is my answer. Oh, I see. <laughs> Craig Charles is just lying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why they got chucked out of the Ramada, you know? Or the Ramada. The Ramada. Ramada. <laughs> oh, Ramada. Happy Ramada, everyone. <laughs> just to see it. You're mentioning the... Um what happened with the hotel like why they got kicked out yeah mm. did you notice the massive silence yep. um, <laughs> weird because they go on to mention it again and then they, they have their they theories. do yeah yeah it's towards the start of Stasis League. They say we were kicked out the Ramada Hotel, and the way Craig says it is clearly not a full stop. It's yeah, a, yeah. it's like he clearly goes on to say something else. But, and then it goes silent for 20 seconds or so. But yeah, later on in the episode, they do tell a proper story and like a contentious one as well. Mm-hmm. Because Craig says he suspects that it's because the bill wasn't paid. Or yeah. something. Oh, someone said that, that to him and he says, but I can't really remember. Which tells me it was because Craig Charles didn't pay his bill. <laughs> he... <laughs> but it wouldn't be up to Craig Charles to pay his bill. It would be up to production to pay his it bill. It depends. So... Remember who the producer was. <laughs> 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 and... 
I will also mention as well, there was some mention of Paul Jackson wanting to get Craig fired Game by this sat- point as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about this. I had absolutely no memory of it. I don't remember that ever being a mention or anything like that, apparently him wanting to actually like, get him fired and get him you, like, written out of well, the well, show. Well, you can imagine putting a dent in the production budget because you've been <clears> on yeah. um, your vodka and cokes all night. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. missed the plane. Missed the plane. <laughs> another theme. Missed the plane, yeah. the bullets in the hat, the fucking the yeah. lateness to the set, the hungoverness, the, the thing of just like not really taking this thing seriously, and like Paul Jackson being the one who actually fucking like kind of g'd him up and got him mm. the part, and for him to kind of, sort yeah. of treat it with such disrespect is, I can imagine that did quite piss off, you know, one of the major producers of BBC television at that point the scariest man in television as well <laughs> like, like uh, again a monster well the thing is I'm not like he, he obviously isn't a monster he's just a man who like but he takes his job very seriously yeah and yeah, if you yeah. do if you don't take your job very seriously he's not going to get on with you yeah, so yeah. you know it's like, I would not <laughs> like to work with Paul Jackson but basically like <laughs> he would scare me as, as someone I w- was working for but as long as you do your job properly I don't think he'd have a problem with you but I just think it's a case well, of exactly. if you, when I you don't do, trust when... myself to do my job properly <laughs> <laughs> I don't want I don't want to have to worry about doing my job properly with Paul Jackson because it's too terrifying to consider what happens if you don't do your job properly <laughs> you get your t-shirt ripped off yeah exactly like I, 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 the professionalism that Paul expects of you as well. That's the, that's the thing is, and 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 that's fine because that's what his his job is to make sure you're doing your fucking job. Mm. So you know, and I'll I'll, I'll say even in the um, uh, into the glue pump, this is this is after of nothing but just like there was the there was a little glitch in the middle of the insta glue where people kind of forgot the lines and they remounted and started again and he treated it as if it was a proper production. He didn't, you know, he didn't like. He treated these people like actors. He didn't treat them like mm. you know fans. He treated them like actors, and that's that's the right way to do stuff. His camera. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna put yourself, yeah, you can. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do it, do it properly. And it's like a case of you can see that when when he was when he was doing that. But it was it was interesting to see. His camera went black, and just all you could hear was the sound of snapping pencils. Just. <laughs> <laughs> he never did put them on eBay, did he? <laughs> <laughs> I got a note here. Craig or Chris, I think it might be Craig actually, calls out the censored chicken McNugget line. I think before mm. we'd really even like cottoned onto it. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess the big reveal was in re- in the remastered, it, it's reinstated. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. mentioned here. Yeah. No, it was definitely a thing. Right. Um, pre before GNT or Observation Dome right. ever spoke about it, it was definitely a thing that was talked about in Better Than Life. For example, oh, interesting. I, you know, I magazine, just never, yeah, never really caught onto it. Mm. Who was it? I think it was Norman that got Sabra Williams and Jenny Powell mixed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she became a TV presenter. She yeah. was on a game show. Yeah, yeah, it was Norman. Wasn't it? Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's not dive too deep into the <laughs> implications. He's an old man. Uh, because uh, well. In during Stasis Leak, they're telling a story about going out on a night out, and Norman ended up surrounded by women. And Danny says he was just like Donald Trump. Yeah, mm. I heard that as well. That's that, yeah. that's something that means something very different now so <laughs> than weird. it did in two thousand and two. Yeah, and I was watching Home Alone too, and it was just like it's weird seeing him out of context. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. 
the very weirdest Donald Trump thing. Well, no, the weirdest Donald Trump thing is the last six years. <laughs> the weirdest Donald, the Trump fact is Donald Trump that, himself, The fact that yeah, the cunt was the fucking president for four of those. There's a clip of Donald Trump doing the draw for the fourth round of the Little Woods Cup in about 1989 <laughs> with Satan Greavesy live on ITV. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> link in the show notes? <laughs> yeah, link in the show notes for sure. But yeah, it was a thing that it would always, the draw for that, for the, what? Well, you know, it's the League Cup was then the Rumbelows Cup. Rumbelows was always done on the mm-hmm. Satan Greavesy show with a celebrity guest, and it happened to be Donald Trump when Donald Trump was just you know famous for being businessman. Yeah. yeah, fucking hell, he's so he's so pervasive. He's fucking everywhere, man. It's yeah. he can't get away from the cunt. I suppose it's a bit like, forgive me, everyone. I can't remember the name. Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, mm. used to be a comedian and actor. Yeah, so like he's presumably like. You know, he's the equivalent of Kevin Eldon or whatever. <laughs> like, there's going to be there's like going to be videos of him Eldon, doing yeah. all kinds of shit. Yeah. Well, it's like Apple Schwarzenegger, right? It's the same thing of yeah. having yeah. an actor becoming a politician. It's just like, um, you know. the Saturday Night Live guy that became a senator before he got uh, he got why well, he left because uh, it was a bit of a sex pest. Um, Could have been anyone. It's not liable because it was proven, but yeah, there's, uh, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Because, well. As a wise man once said, of course you have an actor as president. He has to look good on television. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tracy Brabin. Oh, yeah, of course. Danny's, yeah. Danny's mayor. <laughs> Danny's mayor. Yeah, she's the mayor of <laughs> me, specifically. <laughs> the mayor of But yeah, she, Tracy Brabin was uh, meant to be one of the Camilles. And, she was um, the Kachansky Camille that got recast because she was shit, apparently. Apparently she wasn't very good. But yeah, now she's the mayor of West Yorkshire. <laughs> Hope yeah. has lowered the price better. of buses, so thanks, Tracy. Yeah, oh, that's quite an impressive thing to achieve, to be honest. It's actually, yeah. quite a good change. There's been a lot of good. There's actually been a fair few good things. It's, well, yeah, it's not that's what happens when Labour in charge. There you go. And she was also, yeah, she was in Coronation Street for a few years. Yes. she played uh, a woman. A woman. <laughs> <laughs> she who had a baby with Terry Duckworth, and that, and she lived with the Duckworths in the Rovers for a while. Okay, can't remember a character's name. But anyway, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure. I feel like that's the commentaries, right? Unless you've got. Oh no 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 no! Oh he's got <laughs> no 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 no! Towards the end of Better Than Life, they're looking at the handheld shot of them walking down the corridor where Lister opens the letter, and they comment on, "Oh, handheld, fancy!" And they say, "Oh, would this have been Rocket?" And they say, "Oh no, this was this was pre-Rocket. This was way before Rocket's days." And as they're having that conversation, the credits start rolling, and in the credits is uh, Rocket. Yeah, Rocket was there from uh, the beginning, wasn't he? <laughs> he was there. He was certainly here in Better Than Life. However, they notice that uh, they notice that he's in the credits for Stasis Leak, um, and they say, "Oh no, it was Rocket was here," but they were still wrong because in both of those credits, he's credited as the OB cameraman. So he was the cameraman on location and not in the studio. <laughs> right. So he'd have done all the all the better than life beach stuff and in Sasha's. Oh yeah, of course, telegenics, have... right? Was... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he'll have done uh, the Ganymede Holiday Inn stuff. Yeah, but nothing in the studio. It would have not been a rocket. I'm going to be going to Sasha's soon. <laughs> I was going to say I should. I, I, yeah. I was wondering whether you should mention this. It'd be quite funny. So, so on 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 New Year's Eve this year, there's going to be a special. <laughs> Rubik's Cube event that Capsi is going to. <laughs> Where's it being held, Capsi? Yeah, well, I mean, the spoilers. 
I, I saw it, I saw it on the list of, like of upcoming events. I was like, oh, there's one in Manchester. Oh, weird, it's on New Year. And then like, yeah, clocked the the hotel and it's Sasha's. And the last thing I've uh, heard about Sasha's was a few years ago. And Seb said he, um, I think he was going through Manchester with his with his wife Joe and his little girl, and they stayed outside while he popped in to have a look. And he came out and said, "Yeah, we're not going in there." <laughs> it has consistently shit ratings on the TripAdvisor. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's, it's the greatest. A, it looks like a terrible, terrible. I've I've been there. This is very similar to my Igbeth Arms anecdote from the uh, Travel Log Dwarfcast. <laughs> but yeah, we went we went there uh, for a there was a BTLI meet in Manchester. Uh, I think yeah, a couple of months after the Liverpool one, where we went to the Egbeth Arms, we went to Manchester so that we could see all the Manchester yeah. locations, and we went to Sasha's, and they still have, well, they still this was two thousand and three, but at the time they still had that, like, is it Lord Nelson or it looks like Lord yeah. Nelson anyway, like an admiral statue yeah. thing, in the background that's still there. You can like the decor was unchanged between nineteen eighty eight and uh, two thousand and three. I really pictures, hope hopefully pictures are it's Apple still the same. Pictures, I mean, mate. it's yeah. it's now called Britannia Sashes, so it's it's a chain. It's owned by the Britannia yeah. group of hotels. Yeah, um, so they consistently related the worst hotel It sounds like yeah. If they've if they've gone to the effort of renaming it to be part of the brand, then they're probably change the interior to be generic like all other hotels in that chain basically i want it to be as close to every like 1988 as possible when i go in there so i can get some good like how dare you stand where he stood shots (laughs) (laughs) just to bring it back to coronation street again uh sasha's is also a very notable location in coronation street it? it was used as as a hotel nightclub where liz mcdonald worked and it is where deirdre rashid first met uh john the con man oh, who con- ended up yeah yeah who that relate that storyline ended with her being sent to prison which ended up like on the front page of every newspaper and discussed in parliament yeah free deirdre yeah what 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 people didn't realize is that um Deirdre was a fictional character. <laughs> there was more outrage. And... <laughs> Ended up in League of Gentlemen as well, didn't she? <laughs> do I look like Deirdre Rashid? Yes, you do. <laughs> so, thing I learnt from these commentaries: Charles Organs used to teach at the Pineapple Dance Studio. Oh wow! Oh, Same yeah. with Louis Spence. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Pineapple Dance Studio is now more famous to non. Dancers, yeah, uh, because it featured in a docu soap and it gave the world Louis Spence. Yeah. So, just in the space of 15 odd years, they went from having Charles Organs as an instructor to Louis Spence <laughs> as an instructor, <laughs> the two opposite dancers. <laughs> I mean, that's no comment on Louis Spence's skills as a dancer, of course. No, he's a very good dancer, he should he's do a very good living. dancer. And I have once worn a jacket belonging to him. <laughs> It was one of the. It was sequined, and you could run your arm up it and change the colour of the sequins. Oh, Robin's got a T-shirt like that. Change from Spider-Man to Hulk. Should it be Bruce Banner to Hulk? Nope, Spider-Man to Hulk. That is the correct way of doing it. And my last note is an unfortunate note. Uh, (laughs) Is oh no! It's during Parallel Universe. There's a a conversation during Tongue Tide actually, uh, where Craig. Is this is Craig hates tongue tied basically? <laughs> it, like it brings back a lot of bad memories for him. He's like he remembers like being so pissed off at having to do this, and like he thought they were gonna 
like they got told they were going to do a choreographed chore- choreographed mm. uh, dance routine and he assumed it would be something really cool and it was this cheesy thing and after a while he just says it's so gay <laughs> oh uh, really and that's something that you probably would cut out of a of a commentary released now yeah but was kept in in 2003 but Danny's response is even more curious which is uh, we were all gay in those days <laughs> Fair enough. What? <laughs> well, I think it's like I think he's just you know <laughs> reminiscing about the eighties. Like no one, maybe no one cared in the eighties. Yeah, it, a, it, I think Danny's trying to say, yeah, well, like we didn't care about that kind of thing. We, you know, it didn't matter. Out, out of all of them, Danny's the one I'd expect to be the most progressive when it comes to stuff like that because he basically is. He's just, is a dancer. He's just a bit weird about it. <laughs> Fucking one of them fucking dancing boys from London. <laughs> and Craig later says, in regards to Chris's cycling gear or Rimmer's cycling gear, there's nothing heterosexual about that outfit. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite. Uh, it's funny in a homosexual kind of way. <laughs> uh, so let's move on from all of that business. So that's cast uh, commentary. So what were the other? That's the cast commentary. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Quick shot, lads. Come on. I'm pretty sure we said this last time, but it's time to do it Italian. Come on. Uh, should we talk about the Doug Naylor interview? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It it's longer good. than I remember. I seem to remember it being yeah. like 10 minutes long, but it's not. It's like half an hour. It's kind of. It's, you can see now, looking back, it's a proto. It's like a very limited version of what the documentaries would become, in yeah. that they kind of. Like, it's not. F- formatted to be talking episode by episode but the questions kind of there's kind of a question about each episode yeah and it's and it's doug giving his anecdotes and his memories about something from each episode mm. which you know add in 10 other interviewees and a few captions and that's what the documentaries became yeah basically it's he's definitely like you can see them trying to find their their structure as well because obviously with when you have a full documentary about the series you can split things up and you don't really need to hear the questions but here um andrew's coming in and just basically just telling us what the questions are just to kind of keep the structure going and i think mm. it works but it's definitely like the formula is settled in series three and is much more natural it works however <laughs> the the sound quality of the questions is not great it's obviously like recorded afterwards but uh, it can't have been on a very good microphone. It, <laughs> it, it must have just been like some of them. Some of them sound okay. Yeah. I think it's the uh, it's the fact that it feels like there's a um, the engine hum underneath the the, oh, yeah. the mm. soundtrack kind of bleeds out the the yeah. yeah. I think it's just the compression on Doug's dialogue is treated a lot differently than the way that Andrews is, and I think that's what that's yeah. what making it. There's, there's not there's a lot of uh, on a yeah on a technical level it sounds a bit off. Some of the, <laughs> some of the voice, the like the voiceover reads. Um, <laughs> I don't want to take the piss too much <laughs> or at all, but they are quite funny <laughs> out of context because like there's bits where it just sounds aggressive. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I see what you mean. Like it's a hard line interview. How do you shave? <laughs> it's it's exactly that. <laughs> it's. Having originally avoided having a robot character, why did you create Crichton? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's got the same flavour of then. That's basically what's going on in the magazines with the interviews where they're just like, yeah, aggressive. Hasn't Lister run his cast now? Are you thinking, is, <laughs> yeah. is he doing enough now? <laughs> Are you bored? You seem bored. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is one of those things that it's clearly 
there is no money yeah for any of it yeah so it's yeah it's like uh he obviously he they probably cut it with the captions and thought oh it needs it probably needs, it needs a voiceover to make it flow a bit better yeah. so that it's not just a static screen also you have to think about know. your blind audience as well like yeah yeah Mm. It must have been a. I. This is my complete not to guess, which maybe may or may not be correct to Andrew. Look, fuck himself. it, just go go nuts but, with the errata because we'll get it all fixed. Yeah, we'll get it all sorted. Yeah. But my guess is that it was decided later to include the questions, and so they had to record them and not on top spec mm. equipment. Yeah, is my guess. Whereas when you've got loads of people all talking, you can just like just what they're talking about just dictates the flow yeah. of it, right? You can you structure can, it. Yeah. yeah. You always say to people, put the question in the answer, which, like, obviously it was formal to an extent, but it felt like it flowed quite naturally as a chat between the two of them because you can you can hear Andrew's reactions to Doug, and Doug clearly like plays his responses to Andrew rather than you know to the audience. Yeah. So if if the conversation didn't flow as well, then you'd have probably gotten to go back and say, oh, can you just you know mention, you know. Instead of going, instead of going, yes, blah 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 blah. Just put the put the wording of the question into your answer so that yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but it flows better by just having question answer question answer. It's all things that he'll learn as an interviewer as well, because like yeah. everything very quickly becomes. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot. What was interesting about the interview in particular was that obviously we know like they were unhappy with series one and two and all the rest of it, and they were you know really I didn't pick up on that. No, no, no. They were, they were like, but like, Doug was really going at them, like really going at the production on this one. I've never realised how kind of how what of like he really didn't enjoy like the the process of series one at all. But what interested me was the fact that he mentioned that, that spit an image you were given a lot more freedom. So it was like being given, mm. like obviously an ITV show versus a BBC show is going to be completely different. Like they're going to yeah. have this, you know, the, you, you're funded by advertisers. You're going to have a much bigger budget. You're going to have a much quick turnaround more... spitting image as well. Like they just exactly. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is going to be ad hoc and going to be kind of on the fly. It's like, oh, we've got an idea for this, so we'll make it better. And and they're more likely to go for it because it's going to have to be done quickly. But with BBC, it's a lot more considered. Everything's got to be kind of signed off and done with, you know, executives saying yes to it. Yeah, there are ways. Yeah, there's protocols. Obviously, yeah, there's a bit of, maybe a bit of improvising done on the time, but there's still kind of a very rigid structure to how you do a thing. And I think just Doug was kind of rallying against that whole sort of, nature of production that mm. the BBC was doing. It's interesting that it's because of spitting image that kind of almost spoiled him for how you would do a show and then the BBC not giving you that level of freedom. I never really noticed that, that I'd never really heard that before about yeah. spitting image giving him the kind of the onus for, for choices and then not being able to have any because the BBC was so strict. One of the things he touches on is that the, at the time, the way that writers were seen within the process of making television was that, you know, they did their job, handed in their scripts, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. And then it was like everyone else made the programme. And so, like, he talks about the way that, you know, he was allowed a handful of notes over the course of it, and if he brought up a suggestion in rehearsal rooms and, and it didn't work immediately, it would just be dismissed out of hand. Um, which is just not the way that Red Dwarf worked from series four onwards, really, yeah. when when it got taken into Grant Naylor. Yeah. It's certainly a fair enough thing to do, though, right? Like, keep the writers in, under control, otherwise you're not going to make anything. Well, I was going to say that it's since then, I think in television in general, writers are seen more as 
sort of the auteurs more so than they were at the time they were a cog they're automatically producers as well more often than not or at least or if not actually then then treated with a little bit more you know this is your vision this is your baby if you look at you know people like stephen knight or jed mercurio who does uh line of duty uh chris chibnall when he did broadchurch was like the way that all the all the right the producers, the main showrunners of Doctor Who are the head writers yeah. these days. Whereas in the old days of Doctor Who, and it's a handy comparison because it's literally the same program, the individuals, the the script editors were very much below the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still very important, and you know you had people like Barry Letts and Terence Sticks having great relationships, uh, but <laughs> but then. Yeah, you got Andrew. It, it's, it's more common. Jonathan Nathan. It's Turner. more common now for the writer to be treated as a senior member of the team, whereas in the eighties and previously, they were they were part one of a process and then yeah. sort of left to one side, more often than not. And really, what it comes down to, is the impression I get is that Doug really, really hates being managed. Yeah, <laughs> like fuck, like I mean. In fairness, right, they were series one. They were lucky to get it for a start. They're lucky to get it going. They're 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 going into a a, a production or like a you know a studio um, process that all of these people have done millions millions of times. Maybe apart from Ed By, you know, he he had directed, but you know he was still fairly new as well. But like in that environment where you've got to get stuff fucking made, like. Mm. And he wasn't, you know, him being a producer wasn't part of the plan, isn't part of the setup. Then absolutely, you need to be kept in your box because otherwise you disrupt the whole thing. But then, you know, it works then when if from the original from day one, it's like you are writer, but you are also making these production decisions and we'll make these production decisions. Then it works um, a lot better. But when you're in that situation where you've just kind of got to get it made and you don't have any control over BBC's production designer because he's just going to do what he can do with with what he's got um then there's no there's no use whinging on about a fucking gray set for the million i say for the millionth time that's just because i've listened to it a million times but <laughs> yeah it's just because you've watched this documentary <laughs> well no every time he every time he talks about red dwarf he will he will moan about those those sets and i think maybe it's forgetting about the context of how those first two series were made and how miraculous they were in, to be honest, mm, yeah, um, the first series in particular was basically yeah. it was built. On, it was, How it was arranged on a, on the back of another show's budget. Yeah, it was yeah. cancelled due to a strike. It was remounted because of one fucking producer, Peter Isdale Scott, having faith in the project enough to want to remount it. We must yeah, remount. Jackson, it was, we must remount. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did it in Brown Bless's voice. We must remount. <laughs> <clears throat> um, um, but yeah. But yeah, just like yeah, the, the fact that the show exists in the first place, you you know what I mean? It's like you, you complain. Also, out, hindsight's twenty twenty. I get it, but like yeah, yeah. and also we're being armchair producers here. But well, this um, interview also is the source of the story that series two was commissioned um, to spite the incoming BBC Two controller. <laughs> so like, and, as Doug says, I don't know whether it's true, but it's a great story. That's how um, in the end, Tom, wasn't it? Yeah, so Yentop came in in 87, so presumably then, yeah, Series 2 was commissioned before Series 1 went to air, but probably halfway through its production or 
in its post-production perhaps yeah. because Red Dwarf 1 was early 88 so Yentob came in in 87 the previous controller was a chap called Graham McDonald so if the story is true Graham McDonald uh, hates Alan Yentob <laughs> so there you go. it's not uncommon <laughs> it's not uncommon to find people that hate Alan Yentob <laughs> yeah yeah um, this guy was obviously just ahead of the curve maybe but there's also Doug talks about in this which like obviously I've I've heard this before because I heard this in 2003 when it was released but it's something that I had never, never really clicked before that the BBC wanted to repeat series 1 before series 2 went out mm. but they were only 6 months apart mm. like Red Dwarf would barely be off air <laughs> during 1988 mm. if they'd have done that does it seem likely then, or does that seem like maybe a bit of a, a misremember? I don't. Or how quickly did they get repeated back then? Yeah, I don't know because I was a child. Maybe, maybe it was I fairly was... sharpish because you didn't have home releases, like you know, and you wanted your stuff yeah. that you spent money on to get out there. So there may well have been like a late night repeat. Maybe it was some equity thing as well about when you were allowed to repeat stuff, oh, because yeah. there was a whole hoo-ha over the course of the 20th century basically of um, when channels started to repeat stuff of like yeah but you should be doing new things and hiring new actors and paying people to do that joke you're like you're 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 robbing someone of a job by repeating half an hour of tv rather than making half an hour of new tv and so there were rules at various points about how how often you could repeat things and when but it still seems to me like that would have been a hell of a short turnaround between Series 1 finishing and being repeated before then Series 2 started because mm. they were only like six months apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering that you would have... I know it's not really the same thing, but like in the late 90s with Red Dwarf 8, that had a repeat, didn't it? Every every week. Yeah, they were narrative repeats, they're called, in that they're just another chance to see in the same week, rather than a repeat run, which is when you take something that's finished and start it again. Oh, okay. And you still get those, but often now on different channels, like you get EastEnders Omnibus on BBC3 or Coronation Street Omnibus yeah, on ITV2. Yeah. EastEnders just gets fucking dropped on iPlayer at the start of the week now. Do you know that? And Curry, but that's just during the World Cup. Oh, okay, right. Because the schedules are moving so, so much. much. Oh. I mean, yeah. fucking caused me a right headache yeah. in the last couple of weeks. It's probably the worst thing about this World Cup. So I, I have I have a thought about um so Doug's classic story about Suzanne Burtish, which I think turns up again on Body Snatcher. And I'm sure I've said this before. They talk about it in the commentary. Oh, that's it, right. But is it not questionable for an actor not to show her acting <laughs> until the day? Like, surely she needs to have notes, she needs you know, everyone needs to know what to expect from her to build up a chemistry like isn't this like either very unlikely she did this or if she did really <laughs> arrogant <laughs> it would be unlikely that no one said anything as well before yeah. the day yeah. of just like oh shit this is gonna be awful and not not attempt to do anything about it if they genuinely thought that well, it was like gonna be Paul, awful like you know shrinking violet yeah. paul jackson um, <laughs> yeah he was, he was always scared of conflict yeah. that was his problem <laughs> it just seems yeah it seems so weird because and you could say oh it's a it's a legit actor stage thing it's like no because stage actors have to do rehearsals exactly how they're going to do it on the night so everyone knows what they're fucking doing yeah. not this mumbling like <laughs> mm, 
I get the feeling there's some level of apocryphal. Like mm. I think that what it was was it's that probably been. Are yeah. you saying that someone associated with Red Dwarf may be exaggerating a story, Danny? No. What I'm saying is that. Because they kept saying that Cesar Batista was basically doing a lot of observation during the rehearsals and stuff. Mm. And it's like, she wasn't giving her full beans until she was in front of an audience. But I reckon she was doing an 80% job of what she was going to do. But then on the night, she really fucking amped it up for the cameras. I can believe that yeah. more that than I can believe like... her just be like mumbling her lines and going, not really sort of like paying attention. Like, oh, she was just watching. It's like, she will have been fucking acting. I'm sorry. There's no way yeah. you wouldn't have I just think, taken yeah. it. To... I think the likely thing is that it was just that she was so much better on the night than she was in rehearsals that over the years that became... She yeah. was awful in rehearsals. Yeah, she wasn't trying or didn't look like, you yeah. know, advice. It's like, oh, she can actually do anything on the night. It's like, well, like at this point, you would have got rid of that person. Like, you would not get <laughs> yeah. that person by that point at all. With the best will in the Tracy world. Because was it Ed that got her? So that's the thing. So Ed actually yeah. was the one that put her forward, which is why he was kind of shitting himself. But it's like, if Ed knew what Suzanne was like, then he, she would, yeah, exactly. Then he wouldn't be worried. Yeah. So I was just like, is she just like, does she not like me? Is that why she's doing this? Is she doing to like jeopardize my career? <laughs> why, why would she do that? I just, I get a feeling that that's not true. I'm not saying any fires here by saying that they must have had some sort of program guide in the room with them because they were, oh, yeah. their recall of actors was uh, <laughs> like, like what I noticed as well, I don't know whether this is true of any commentaries normally you just hear the studio raw but they seem to have added like a bit of reverb to it as well it was like as if there was in a bigger room than it was and it definitely wouldn't have been a room that would have had an echo in it <laughs> they seemed to add some reverb to it to sort of give it sort of a spacier feel i don't know if that was by design but yeah, possibly um, yeah i hadn't really noticed yeah. Oh, but I yeah, obviously just... it was like, I don't know who that person is. I've never seen him before. Oh, yeah, it's John Abinari. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all of a sudden, the recall, just like, oh, you... It's either either they've got notes or the program guide in front of them or they got told Or is by... Andrew putting, like... Andrew, yeah, is he just... Yeah. Yeah. I, seem yeah. To remember, yeah. I seem to remember a comment where they confirmed that Andrew would write a, a cheat sheet per episode or something along those nice. lines. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Just, just here, here's, the, here's the bullet points. Yeah, to I'm not expecting yeah, people like, to remember who Gordon they are. Salkild. Yeah, yeah, Gordon Salkild was his name. Yeah. yeah I sure. mean, but then you get the genuine stuff like Craig Charles will just start reciting his lines at the same time. As yeah. Well. That's, yeah, so I like part of the people's think, lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird the things that he remembers. I don't think Craig needs the, the cheat sheet. But it's it weird that he could remember anything studio. at the time, really. Yeah, he was wankered <laughs> the entire <laughs> both both during the commentary and what he was commentating on. Other extras? I will say actually was one more thing about the interview. Oh for God's sake. And I like it when people do this. The kind of the rough like uh, leaving the bit at the end where you say thank you to the interviewee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> left that left that in there. I, I thought that was quite a nice little cap to it. Tom Scott did a video recently about I bet he fucking did. Yeah, <laughs> about the psychology of leaving bits like that in, and like what it says to your audience, you know, subconsciously or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. He's the master of Link faking those, uh, those, those bits. Well, not faking, but yeah. like, I feel like insincere. Like, oh, I'm crazy. It's like the video was was based around a sync clap, basically, and it was like, why do why do YouTubers do? Why do YouTubers clap at the start of the video? And he explains, well, a the reason that we do that is to sync up the cameras to make it easier in editing. 
But the point is, why do we keep that in? <laughs> you're supposed that you're supposed to cut that out. Like we in our dwarf cast, we don't include our sync clap at the start. No. But yeah, he goes on to make a whole thing about yeah the effect that little behind the scenes bits being left in the main product. Uh, what effect that has on the audience? <laughs> I'm, I'm still leaving that in for this one, though. <laughs> yeah. well, at worst, we'd, we, we, I think we might have had claps in like the bips at the end. Yeah, what we call the bips. Claps in bips. The fuck ups. But I can't remember. I think I think it's. We should reduce a ju- we should release a just the claps <laughs> of all the sync claps that we've done since the start. We of will Lockdown. find out that, that we that... basically all say exactly the same shit every single time. <laughs> if we did that, like God, God, we right. repeat ourselves over and over again. I've got to cut that out because I was going to do that for April Fool's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um. Do you know what I think it is, though? Things like that. I think it's it stems a little bit from ego, or like, like, I mean, because it all comes from that, right? Us putting in, us putting in outtakes at the end comes a little bit from ego because it's like you have to assume that people are interested enough to listen to you just bollock on, and you have to assume people are interested enough to see you doing going through all the motions and being all professional and doing your claps and doing your clapperboard. And weirdly know. enough, I kind of think. It, it can kind of it's a double-edged sword because you're essentially showing your weaknesses when you show outtakes right. and i can understand why actors sometimes i never thought about this the other day but with a comedy show it's kind of funny when people fuck up and stuff like that and it's it's for the audience reacting and stuff and like ah, it's really funny when they get it wrong but it's like imagine that's your job and that's your profession and you get something <laughs> wrong and it's like that looks bad on you if you you know if you screw if you screw up in your normal job no one's laughing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, do, Unless do you know you're what I mean? part of an institution, like I think, actor. If if someone phones up an actor's agent and say, "Oh, we want to put your outtakes on a DVD," they'd say no. But if someone rings up the, the uh, an actor's um, agent and says, "We want to put your outtakes on," it's all right on the night. Well, you know, before David Wallum's position, they still making say it. yes. Because that's part of it. That's almost like a Christmas tapes kind of feel, right? Isn't it? I can get like, that, but it's a, but it, but you can also you sh- you're kind of bearing your soul. Well, you're bearing your soul when you do anything yeah, that's, that's going to be public anyway. But you're also bearing your soul when you kind of show the sort of the other side of the system. Mm. Like I always kind of find that when we show outtakes and stuff, I'm always kind of like, oh, do it, do it. I want to like show mm-hmm. that, especially when people like fluff up a line because they've stuttered or something like that as well. It just feels like hey, that feels harsh to some degree sometimes if you do something like that well that's why you don't see Blackadder outtakes because Rowan Atkinson's got a well at least had um, a speech impediment stuttering speech impediment and so the audience would laugh thinking it was a fuck up when actually well just mo- most of his most of his mess ups were related to that and so it, it just yeah. takes it, mm. it brings on a, a weirder dimension then doesn't it when, you, when it's just like haha he's stuttering well, there is an interesting, there is an interesting blackout outtakes that you don't tend to see that often, and it's normally like Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry fucking about. Mm-hmm. They don't tend to show much that, um, unless it's something that Rowan does that isn't a stutter, they fucked mm-hmm. up on, like he just literally yeah. forgot a line or something, or you know. But the way he kind of like reacts to that is not of like joy; it's of annoyance at himself. So yeah, I get stressed watching 
It's All Right on the Night and uh, Aunt Is Bloomer's type programs now. <laughs> it's like, it's the first, if it's one or two takes, it's fine. Anything that goes to the third yeah, take. Yeah, when they've got a take like, counter. Oh, God. Oh, no, where it's like seven, eight, yeah. nine. <laughs> no, yeah. horrible. Because yeah. you're just thinking at that point, no, get it fucking done because these people need to go home. <laughs> like, the electricians are turning everything off at 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like when Ben Dwarf first was like that, it was like that, wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. it, and there was a yeah. and there so, was the right blessed thing with the Doctor Who thing. Caves of Androsani, Ian, on the DVD, where they have the regeneration scene and they have mm. they have rushes of filming that regeneration scene and it went right up to the wire, right up to 10 o'clock. In fact, maybe slightly past 10 o'clock. But all the yeah. electricians, all in a union, they all had these very strict labour rules, like 10 o'clock, the lights yeah. go off, everything goes off. And yeah. there's this yeah. like, like this was their last day of filming, it was, and it's really tense and exciting. And I think it is it's the regeneration. There's one of those Baker. on the Hitchhikers DVD as well. Of one of their sessions went right to the wire, and it was like trying to get it rushed in before the lights went off at ten. It's cool. It's stressful. There's another example: League of Gentlemen. Uh, the scene with Pop and uh, his son in the in the when they're having dinner with his uh, girlfriend. Jesus, uh, that's already they're, they're, they're freaking anyway. out. With no. the, they're freaking out because that's why the the scene's so frenetic because the the vision mixer hasn't got time to actually work out what the camera blocking was going to be. So they literally just do it on the fly, and that's why it's got this kind of sort of like a sort of a rushed energy to it. And the camera's not quite sure which way to fucking point and stuff. But it helps the scene, but it's obviously that wasn't by design. That's one of the most unpleasant and and stressful scenes in League. So she doesn't have to have the chocolate; she can play with the toy. Bright <laughs> <laughs> eyes burning like fire. Do you know we should just like do com- like the fact you've just mentioned Hitchhikers and League, and I'm just thinking we just have to do commentaries on those. Like fuck any rela- <laughs> relation to Red Dwarf, like. They were both. They were both on the BBC. That's it. That's enough. Uh, well, Steve Benderlack did. Uh, uh, he directed League of Gentlemen, and he also directed Spit and Image. So there's your connection. We can do. Oh one. yeah, do you know what? We'd be able to find one, wouldn't we? Like may- maybe maybe Rocket was on um, was on uh, Hitchhikers, or well, maybe that was before his time. Actually, uh, Jim Francis did the special effects on Hitchhikers and Series Eight. There we go. That's a good one. I like that. Good, one. good blessing. Oh, and um, also the uh, Rimmer's badges, an upside down Gorka Finch and badges. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll commentate on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll commentate on episode five when the Gorka Finch turn. Oh, Is that what we've got to do a fucking commentary on Star Cops because of the fucking. The, the fucking <laughs> the toaster? No. Let's uh, tie Ian to a chair and do a commentary of Dark Star. <laughs> I'm happy to do so. Oh, I right. just might fall asleep. <laughs> well, yeah, possible. I've never got through that film without falling asleep. It's a bit sleepy. Anyway. So I did want to mention the original trailer for Red Dwarf yes. 2, which was interesting because it never mentions the name of the show. Yeah. <laughs> or the time or day or, that it's on. Yeah, it just shows you some <laughs> clips of Red Dwarf. It shows you the, the, the dog shows milk you a scene, clip of Red Dwarf. Dog milk scene and going, yep, yeah, that's on 2. It suggests it me. looks to me. <laughs> I know what you're Like, say. it might be a section of a longer trail. Right. Like this season on BBC Two. It's got really strong just... BBC Two. Like, you can tell that it's their fancy new branding or something for the late 80s. Like, with the neon and the and, and, and everything like that. Yeah, and they would have had, like, loads of different things. Like, this season. Yeah. This, this, this. It's like strip. a showcase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. So, out of context, it's it gives you nothing. BBC Two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it's very weird. It is very weird out of context. Yeah. It, it did freak me yeah. out a little bit. So I was like, what is like Maybe this... Red Dwarf was so... Because, well, you know, it wasn't not big. Like, when, when Series 2 started, people would have known what it was. Um, it was know. only on 10 minutes ago. Because everyone says... Everyone says like, "Oh, Crichton." The, the way the audience reacted in Crichton is when the show they felt like the show bedding in, but that didn't happen on broadcast, did it? Like that happened when mm. they were filming it, which means it was off the back of a very big audience or a very passionate audience from Series One, anyway. Yeah. Um, and so. yeah, in, for the recording of Series One, they were dragging people in off the streets, etc. I wish I was in that pub. Fucking hell. <laughs> I would have been and, too uh, young, but I wish I was in the <laughs> It'd have been four. I do find the irony <laughs> quite funny that like before they had to drag people in from a pub and like later series we were sat in a pub waiting to go in. Waiting <laughs> yeah. for yeah. a fucking call that the fucking seats were available in order to get that. I think that's highly ironic. Well in, in some of our cases, I mean I'm pretty sure Alec Alex knew some of the garbage podcast. Most of the time he went to like series ten recordings with us, he didn't have a ticket and he was just he was just gonna yeah. get in on spares and he always got in. He always got in. I'd gone exactly that. I I was sat oh, there. Oh did you manage that as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I was sat with, with Alex and he was getting a call from Jay, so he let us oh, in. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jay Sumo from uh, Lost in T V there. Good lad. Lovely man. Good lad. Anyway. The featurette. Did I mention the featurette? Yeah. Because I actually genuinely, like, obviously I don't know whether the rights of this song was easy to get hold of because of the fact it was used in Series 8. But actually, looking at how that was cut together, um, there's, like, who who is it that edited them? Was it it Mike Wyburn or was it? I think, we think it's Mike Wyburn. Okay. It would have been, you can imagine Mike Wyburn and, and uh, Andrew kind of sat in because it would have been Andrew's concept, I think. Yes, like, I think that there's definitely a collaboration thing going on. Because, yeah. But there is some really, really good, like, really clever edits in yeah. that. Yeah. In that, There's like a whole a thing where it said, look to the left, look to the right, look up the stairs, look at your eyes. Like, yeah. that's all shown on screen and stuff. Um, it's like, when, unless you're not listening, if you listen to the song, it, it makes sense. When uh, Tiny Robocop Lister lifts off his gun like that there's like a like it's perfectly yeah. in sync with the beat um, yeah. yeah it's re- it's really yeah. nicely done and it's really clear to me that drunk and alternate personalities were the two ideas for this where it's like yes does really strong got loads of clips and after yeah. this <laughs> you say that but how many of those clips were actually alternate personalities and how many of them are just the crew in different costumes should i should i check notable red dwarf fan site down in time to see what they said i did do i did do the same thing that i did for the drunk feature (laughs) and ranted heavily about this is not an alternate but this is just Crichton. this is just Crichton with his nude suit on yeah. Alternate alternate views of the cast would have been, yeah. but I, I understand. I understand the general theme of the idea, but yeah, it does fall apart when you start to just see people like alternate personalities. Is like, where do you draw the line as to what? Like, technically speaking, everyone in Red Dwarf is an alternate personality of the actor playing them. So you yeah. could argue that you could just use except it with what fine. with there's a handful of exceptions to that, but not until Back to Earth. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so that hadn't happened yet, so that's fine. <laughs> I need to get back to the. But technically speaking, technically speaking, Lister uh, Craig Charles is playing an alternate version of Craig Charles in Back to Earth. You could argue so. so. They should have just put like. What about Hitler in series, Time Slides? <laughs> Hitler is playing the part of another Hitler. <laughs> Do you know what I find interesting is, and obviously I don't know 
that much about this but one thing i do pick up from various things is that licensing music is a pain in the ass and it, and it's mm. be- the thing that can can sink many things so how like how easy would it have been for them to get these licenses for like tub thumping which wasn't that old at the time and this it's tub like... thumping the the drunk featurette wasn't included on the region one dvd because they couldn't get the rights to it in america oh okay so so for certain territories it was a licensing thing yeah you, you have to license it by territory basically but then would they have so to re-license it for the blu-rays you know I've always been a bit fascinated by these musical things because they they always like it, to my untrained eye, they've always felt a bit like a waste of resources. I but think that's, we said this in the last one, didn't we? Yeah. I think that was, that was the thing that I sort might of be way off. It's like it's only a waste of resources if you don't like it. To, yeah. One man's waste of resources is another man's Treasure. poison. <laughs> I mean, poison. for all I know, there could, there could be there could be a music licensing kind of deal that's really cheap and it includes various songs, and these two happen to be in that deal, and they just had it as part of some mm. something with BBC World. Oh, there you go. If they're doing it through BBC Worldwide, BBC have this blanket music thing, right? So maybe it was something to do with that, you know? For broadcast, though. Yeah, and BBC and BBC Worldwide are two different companies. So. Yeah, it wouldn't the blanket wouldn't apply to um, to commercial things. One main like big feature that we haven't talked about yet is the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. They are, I think, the most interesting collection of deleted scenes really possibly are. across the whole run. <laughs> Other series have a longer, uh, you know, longer running time and and more scenes, but. These ones in particular, there's some really weird and interesting stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, like it starts off with the full-length androids, which is amazing. Yeah, God, I just <laughs> like said in my notes, God bless Howard Goodall. Like that, that man can put yeah. together. I just love the fact that there's like there's been like whatever whatever program they use for their. What I like is is there's a bit of a sort of an in-universe thing where like the Red Dwarf is sort of <laughs> meta because they're using yeah. the same software for creating the credits of the show. There's a yeah. credits android. <laughs> Yeah, but the fact we get the unedited, completely unused—you know, yeah. the full yeah. version—is fucking just delightful. There's at least one extra joke in it, which is that the uh, production accountant is Android Z Z Z Z Z Z Z Z Z, and like the only human is actually the producer of the show. Like yeah, everyone else is yeah, Android, everyone else is generic Android. Unless, unless, it's, unless it's like an Android that's become sentient and decided on a proper name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I want to be called Kylie Gwendolyn from now on. After all, you're only human. And then there's the cat doing a duet with the toaster. <laughs> Who else forgot about this completely? Yeah, like, I, I, I forgot. I absolutely it. wiped it from my mind. I'd forgotten how the cat sung until yeah. he did it. I was like, oh, what's this thing? And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. In a series where you have tongue tied, I can see why. You like a second out. musical number. Yeah, and they decided to cut it out before they bothered to get John Lennon in to, to record the toasters' lines as well. Yeah, which makes me You've think that that the... was never done. So John Lennon was on set when he did the lines for series was... one. Yeah, oh, for series yeah. one, right? But he wasn't okay. like the, the, the yeah. There's no lines, so they didn't. Hang on, he's not in series two, right? He's not in series two. Yeah. He's not in series two. Ah, yeah. oh, I've done. literally just worked that out. Yeah, okay. So maybe so they yeah, wasn't in. decided to save a bit of money on on the cast or something. But to be honest, like one thing about these there was no budget scenes is what what really really stands out is they cut the correct stuff. Like mm. like 
yeah that, that old yeah. adage of it's not about what you what you leave in it's what you cut out like yeah. some of these scenes the, the pacing would have just died on its ass and yeah like, the, the, the editing just was just brilliant like really good decisions yeah because yeah you've got stuff like which is good in isolation like Chris Barry's in Queeg when he's glitching he go, he does Hollister and he does a Brummy and he does a, a Spaniard and then he does an incredibly <laughs> does, nondescript effeminate character you're a racist in Italian actually <laughs> no no that was <laughs> he does a homosexual he does yeah um, I, I like how he goes when he does Hollister he says he's, he's like John, Col- John Culshaw's it I'm the captain <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, with you, fair but point. I wonder what would happen if uh, if Captain Hollister. <laughs> I, I mean, imagine if Tom Baker was the captain of Red Dwarf. <laughs> Which is longer, Red Dwarf or a curly whirly? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Which Red Dwarf? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Chris had to really fucking pull some really? fucking just he just well, just go just go mad, Chris. Just I was going to say go, go mad because there's no way there was decisions that actually yeah. was given to him. Was, yeah, and then they used the best ones. They were, they used the ones that worked and kept a pace and kept a story going. Yeah, yeah. Brannigan is and the best yeah the decision to to reshoot the. Um, the shower scenes in Stasis League as well. Yeah. One of the literally one of the weirdest things ever in the world <laughs> is this old man in his his flesh coloured pants. I always thought it looked a bit like a like if, if Ronnie Corbett had grey hair. I just those the He looks uh, also like uh, Jeffrey Perkins. A little bit like but much like an old man version of Jeffrey Perkins. Only much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, though, it's all about pacing, isn't it? Because those scenes are just aside from the man's ass, they're flabby as hell. Like, yeah, they just it just like there isn't any. Like, it just feels. I like think his ass is quite sh- Shuffling around, <laughs> they're awkwardly shuffling around. Yeah. And it's not really like. Yeah, it's like you it... do have to remember that all scenes are presented essentially as shot without <laughs> final sound mixing grading. But so, like the fact that they're flabby and stuff, they if they were used, they yeah, would have been tightened up a bit. True. But yeah, and like the sound grade makes a huge difference. Um, a lot because that's usually the thing that makes it sound bad. Oh, if they put a like sound of a shower on top of that, it would have sounded okay. Yeah. But because it, yeah. because you could just hear, hear the drip of like a single fucking <laughs> a leaking pipe above him. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but it is just like you can tell they're just like ah, oh, this is fucking working. Let's just let's just redo this because it's it's shit. Yeah, it's ruined. <laughs> yeah. Let's get an actual naked man. <laughs> but wasn't the, I think we get the full story in the series two documentary on body snatcher? Yeah. It's cold outside, where they it was supposed to be a naked man, but he got shy <laughs> on the day and like he didn't want to do it. Donna Stefano says he was talking to the agent, saying, "Oh, we, oh, I know, I know someone who can who can who can go do it." He naked. loves getting like, his ass out. Oh, what John ass out? Jones. <laughs> How do you know my alias? <laughs> Turns out that's just his name and has got nothing to do with his preferences. <laughs> Arthur Two Shits Jackson. <laughs> the man with three buttons. <laughs> but yeah, apparently this guy was just like just turned up and he was like super shy and everything, which is fucking really obvious when you see that outtake. But yeah, it's uh, a yeah. poor man. Get your ass out. Just get your ass out. You're an actor. Like actors get their asses. <laughs> your ass belongs to Paul Jackson. Yeah, your ass belongs to. You'll be famous. You'll end up at Comic Cons, fucking getting people to sign your ass. It'd be brilliant. Your ass belongs to me. <laughs> also, there's another bit during a deleted scene from Queeg, which 
again rightly cut but it's more of the set an alarm for six o'clock yeah. Chris Barry does a big winking face which is now a meme from one division oh, yeah. <laughs> he does that me- that meme face Chris does it in uh, 1987 yeah, yeah. yeah. Donald all along there's a mum at my school that looks exactly like her like exactly like her it's quite it's quite unsettling I can't tell if this is is there's a scene, an extended scene from Thanks to the Memory where Rimmer is crawling back into bed. Yeah. And there's a line, I think, is it was the books written before series two or after series two? After. After. So the complete confac of my mandalities was written was that was written yeah. into the ah, into the good spot. There's there's also uh what Planck's constant can never be made. Oh yeah. Of course. <laughs> and also I'd forgotten where I'd got it from. But during that drunken corridor scene, Cat goes, uh, this is where I get off when he gets to his room. I quote that all the time. And I'd forgotten <laughs> what I was quoting it from. That's weird. <laughs> that that one, one deleted scene just stuck with you and we forgot yeah. about all the others. In that same bit, um, there's an extended scene of, of Rimmer with Lister's memories. And I don't know if I've misunderstood this, but he's going on about you know his slash Lister's grandma. But surely mm. he wouldn't have had those memories because he only got given... The Lisa Yates memories, but during is that chunk of time in Lister's life, ah. which is also why he remembers having his appendix out, etc. And during that time, he he stole his grandma's false teeth and pawned them. Yeah, I think okay. there's or, or that he remembers about that particular event while he's in that time with Lisa, and therefore that's what's part of the whole. When you take a chunk of memory, what are you taking? Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's some really, really good. There's some really good yeah. little extra scenes. It'd be nice to. It'd be nice to do a little edit that kind of like adds a couple of them back in. <laughs> Red Dwarf, the unoptable edits where we put all <laughs> not everything. Just there's some there's some really good. You put every single <laughs> scene in all the episodes, <laughs> even even the ones that are just like reshot versions yeah. of scenes. <laughs> so you have the end, the original and new assembly at the same just time. Just everything, the ruined edition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did do a whole like three series of the ruined version in 1988. 98. <laughs> Shit. Long. On the subject of uh, like everything being shown as is, um, obviously there was some sort of grading done to Norman's shots because we we fully see his polar neck in these deleted scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in the ones from Parallel Universe, you can see. Hattie's as well, and you can see that Hattie is like just stood in front of Norman, so that they oh, can both fit she's on. Because you don't head. think about it. Oh yeah, of yeah. Course. Because they, because they're two heads on a screen. Then when all the black is taken down and you can't see the polo necks anymore, then it's you don't even think yeah. about it. But yeah, in order to fit in that shot, Hattie had to be stood in front of Norman. Otherwise, their heads would be too far apart if they were shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, unless they were really close. And it wasn't a split. Screen. Yeah, it wasn't a split. Yeah, it wasn't a split screen. They were just she was stood slightly in front. Which of is him. why Hattie's head appears quite big on them scenes because yeah, yeah, proportionally yeah. compared to series three onwards. Yeah, yeah. interesting. So never never thought about the practicality of it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah. We're forgetting about the photo gallery. Oh yeah. I've got two points about the photo gallery. Yes. One, we've got yet another um fucking rogue series eight Holly in it. Yeah. And two, <laughs> we've just got we've just got a picture of Lister from the remastered fucking reshot opening. Yeah. We also have a rogue series three Holly. Oh yeah. That shot of Hattie. Yeah. And weirdly, <laughs> 
the video covers for the Australian releases, the American releases, and the UK remastered releases, but not the original UK That's, releases. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess that that padding out as well is indicative of the fact that they had a dearth of. Um, yeah, you can tell they're, they're all from Parallel Universe. Yeah. All yeah. the photos are from Parallel Universe, black and white or colour. Yeah. So it's weird. Odd. It's weird. It's just maybe just didn't. I mean, I guess that's why they had Paul Grant in after that, right? To to get as many. My a semi-educated guess is that, like with um, the model shots, they thought, well, we've got a bunch of publicity pictures because we got a bunch of them for series one. Let's not have a publicity shoot again. Let's just reuse the same ones. Yeah. And so they just got one episode's worth. And that happened to be parallel universe. It's the first. It's the thing that needed a bit of coverage because of being a big event and the big whole bigger guest with cast the, with yeah. tongue tied and all that kind of stuff involved and everything else. So yeah, mm. Ooh, I will mention tongue tied uncut. Anyone got any thoughts on tongue tied uncut? Um, it's not. Uncut. It is the. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Danny it's... John Jules tongue tied. No, it's not. It's not. So, of course, it's not definitive Danny John Jules version. That was never released. That that, I assume that was probably a different production. Therefore, would never really. It's it's a completely separate thing. It's a virgin thing, isn't it? I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a different shark. Okay. Uh, Yeah, and this version of Tongue Tied was is unique in that the extended version on the Smegouts tape has got that claymation oh, intercut yeah. with it mm-hmm. and this is the full sun's claymation version yeah presumably because andrew knew that the claymation version would end up on the smeg outs dvd just the smegs yeah, <laughs> or that he knew that it was shit which yeah. it is it, it, it is yeah like it's already <laughs> over egging the pudding having the holly inserts i think yeah jesus christ that song was long that was unnecessarily long they could have halved the the length of it basically well they kind of did well god yeah well they did they half the choruses yeah and then yeah i guess everything else is your standard stuff this is what you'd expect you've got raw footage um which is obviously but yeah as as i think we said last time the concept of standard stuff is uh is a privilege it's a privilege to have uh for Red Dwarf because any of this stuff like isolated music cues talking book chapters would be like fucking headline content on most DVDs of the time no other fucker had web links and it had been done for one series and then never done again yeah never mind all of them yeah no it's actually I think there was actually one bit of footage missing from the special effects stuff which was the um, when the blue midget was reversing against the camera and there's normally a shot when you see it kind of shift over and then start off again but and I don't that think you see that in footage, the... though. I don't like know. I, I've never thought about it that way. It's yeah, weird. Like... It's got a weird camera move on it, and it just it looks really unusual. But yeah, I don't remember the the, the one being used in the show actually being in there. But this this is just indicative of what we'll get through the whole series is that you get the series specific raw footage, and it's amongst the most interesting stuff because you get. You know, you get clapperboards and stuff. You know, you get Tom Scott it. coming in with his clapperboard, um, and also them fucking about little animations as well. Yeah. Like, because there was the one like saying, "Oh, like, oh, brand new from Acme Opticals," and it looks like a like the like the pissing about as well. Like, they're actually putting mm. a bit of fun in the um, you know in the in like like they're having fun while they're doing the model shots, yeah. and it's like yeah. it's not taking much budget. They're just pissing about, but it's just something to entertain themselves. And we get all that as well. Like that's just raw as is. Yeah, it's very good. It's good. It's an e- it's an easy thing to put on, really, as long as you've got the footage. Um, like, say, just yeah, okay, cool. Just 
put this on. I mean, I'm assuming it's still edited to some extent because there'll be a lot of retakes, I would assume, of the same mm. shots. So you just pick maybe what the final shots are. The most were, interesting alternative. Could be the fact that literally the budget stretched to what you get. You know, it could be or literally what you see yeah, what you yeah. get. Yeah. I imagine the VizFX guys would have. They may be handed over like the final takes the, the ones that were oh handed. yeah okay so they handed over um, sort of like well, a, i'm not sure a, whoever decision it was to to pick the take i don't know if it was them or again might be a question for andrew i think maybe but that's more of a on the at the time show production mm. stuff okay what was the talking book chapters i didn't actually get to them what was the, that's uh, just was, which... radio show isn't it or is that infinity still uh if memory serves they are both from Infinity, and it's part two, chapter 17, uh, which is Crichton with the Dead Nova 5 crew, uh-huh. and part part one, chapter four, which is setting up uh, Better Than Life. Okay, After listening cool. to the commentaries, I'm now fairly certain you get that joke from Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Saying, we're approximately... I mean, we're at sort of 27 <laughs> minutes 48. <laughs> so, ding! <laughs> the, the Ian Symes stolen joke alarm goes off. Um, Everything I say, assume is stolen from stolen something, stuff. whether I'm conscious of it or not. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, where was the Easter egg? I didn't actually find the Easter egg. Ah, fuck those. But it uh, Holly's is the Holly Watch on the main menu of disc one. Ah, right. Uh, go down to the Holly Watch, okay. and it's uh, the Queeg animation, sure, sure. which is only like three minutes. It's one of the shorter sections. So we haven't mentioned the most. Well, the, probably the most important part of this whole release. Why did the font increase on the series text on the spine? Oh, yeah. Not had a satisfying answer from this, despite the fact, let me tell you, that in DJ 2004, I literally cornered Andrew Ellard. <laughs> the poor bastard had to deal with this bullshit. <laughs> His whole career at GMP, he just had to deal with those cunts. And oh, I said, why, why is the font bigger? And <laughs> I mean, spoilers for the next one. They they then alternate it, like, and you yeah, could you could to assume, make it look deliberate. You could assume it was deliberate. It wasn't, but you could assume it was deliberate. But obviously, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter. And some no. <laughs> some early twenties cunt making a fucking deal out of it probably wasn't the most ideal thing in the world. But there you go. Uh, I did make a big deal out of it, so that's that's the first of my um, shame uh, shame memories. Apologies. <laughs> yeah, shame memories slash apologies. So like, I mean, basically, this whole thing is just our extended <laughs> apology to Andrew, just, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, we're not dicks anymore. No. We're we're slightly dicks. We're still getting shit wrong, but at least we know. <laughs> <laughs> we're more humble about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had a lovely, we had a very lovely catch up with Andrew at, at Seb's um, Seb's fortieth do. So, yeah, mm. <laughs> hence why we're mentioning him a lot more now. <laughs> He's our friend. <laughs> yeah. um, is there anything more? No. Jesus Christ! Let me have a wee. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Piss yourself. There's the there's the web link. There is the web link, but is that a, it's still yeah, it still works exactly. Yes, yes, it's, it's <laughs> So that was the series two DVD in quite a lot of detail, uh, probably more than we were anticipating, but never mind. Detail. <laughs> Welcome to Ganymede and Titan. 
Uh, we will, in the future, be talking about Series 3 and also magazines and commentating on stuff and all that kind of shit. So uh, if you <laughs> want to talk to us about any of the things that we've said or any of the things that we might say in the future, then you can leave us a comment over at www.ganymede.tv or you can tweet us. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. And that bastard is not a red dwarf. Fan. <laughs> <laughs> he just made it up. Hence why we're memeing the shit out of him on every single episode <laughs> we do. No game. Okay. <laughs> so until next time, stay safe, stay warm. Staley Bridge and Hyde is a constituency that was represented by the following MPs Sir John Wood, Sir John Rhodes. J. Lincoln Tattersall, Edmund Wood, Hugh Hartley Laurie, Sidney Hope, Philip Dunn, Horrence Terence Cox, uh, Gordon Lang, Fred Blackburn, Tom Pendry, James Purnell, and the current incumbent, Jonathan Reynolds. And until next time... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. In three, two, one. It's a wee clap, but it'll do. A wee clap there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I've been unwell. I got the wee clap. I've only got a little, a little baby uh, going on here. Well, that's because of my strange bed feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so, until next time, stay safe. So, until next time, shut up. (laughs) Horrence Terence Cox. Excellent. (laughs) I mean, the whitest man you've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's bloody Staleybridge, isn't it? (laughs) He owned slaves, probably. Is Horrence Horrence a word? Or was it Horace? Horace. 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 You said Horace. Horace Terence. Horrence Terence. Horrence Terence Coxons. Do you know what? It's not even Terence. <laughs> Is it not? No one will check. It's Horace Trevor Cox. <laughs> you just made a person. Yeah. No one will.